on today's show, we are getting to know again and more about Emmanuel. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. Emmanuel, thank you so much for um answering some weird message out of the blue for me about crypto and coming on to just educate me as a boomer and any boomers or non-boomers who may be listening, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely, no problem at all. Happy to be here, son. Yeah, and it's funny. I think the last pod ended, and I don't even know if it was on the pod or not, but it was like, hey, we didn't even get into like the whole technology thing and what I do and all that. And then following you more and looking at your Instagram stories, like I don't even fucking get them. (laughs) 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 And that's when I was like, if this dude is willing and he's posting so much shit that I know there's something to, but I don't get maybe I should have like a decent conversation with them. And it got me thinking like, I wonder how many people in my age range as a 40 year old would over the pandemic got into like day trading, swing trading and got a basic understanding of stocks and buying in companies, but zero real understanding about crypto is why I'd reached out to you to be like, Hey man, would you come on and share a little bit about your experience to just help people again in my demographic, I'm gonna call them lovingly boomers. Um, to just understand a little more about crypto. Uh, so that's the background on why you're coming, man. I really do appreciate your time. Oh, no problem, Sean. So, yeah, I, 
Oh, now, well, it was a clunky intro, but I had never really done it before, but I asked you maybe 20 minutes before the pod, I was thinking about basically four little things, little bit about you, little bit about, about crypto in general, ways to make money in crypto, and then crypto versus stocks were the four things I'm thinking about. And then it may go anywhere because who knows what I'll get intrigued by or what you'll bring up. Um, but if you don't mind, Emmanuel, give me and a little and our listeners a uh, background on just like, why do you post all this weird shit on Instagram that old people don't understand? <laughs> for sure. For sure. So I guess if we if we can start from the beginning, how I got introduced to cryptocurrency, it was prior to getting introduced, I would say around, it was the year of 2018 and everybody, you know, well, mostly everyone writes down, starts off the year by another New Year's resolutions. And I, I was like, okay, well, I don't want to do this whole resolution thing. It seems kind of corny and tacky. What about a manifesto? And I wrote down four things that I wanted to focus on for that year in 2018. And I, I clearly remember distinctly, it was, I can only remember three and four, but number three was to take advice from walkers and not talkers. Mm. So people that were actually walking the walk and were actually, you know, they were actually had skin in the game. And number four was, uh, learning how to invest in stocks and cryptocurrency. I had watched the movie Dope that came out in 2016, and uh, it was a film about um, these teenage boys in, in L.A., and they ended up getting in trouble with another guy who was selling drugs, and they have to wash the money, and they were using Bitcoin as a way to send and receive money. So it was it was very interesting to me at the time. Wish I would have invested back then, but that, it was... It was just growing like that plan to see in my mind about crypto and I would hear about it online, but I still didn't really know what it was. And a later year in 2018, I ended up doing an investment presentation on how to buy and sell stocks. And later on, I got asked to, to do something to present about cryptocurrency. And how it all started was uh, that summer of 2018, I want to vote uh, for an internship group I'm a part of. And one of my friends from school was he was trying to rent. Um, he was just he was opening up Robinhood on his phone, just teaching me how to invest in stocks. And he was a he was a swing trader at the time. And we were talking about stocks. I'm super fascinated, right? Like I'm looking at the chart, looking at it, like go looking at it on his screen, looking at his spread, um, looking at him, trace his finger and sliding along the phones and follow stocks movement throughout the day, throughout the week. And I was just so intrigued. He was like, just go ahead and download it. Just play around with it. And I was just so enamored with this. I was like, wow. I was like, I was like a kid in a candy shop, like just touching things. And he showed me Dogecoin. I was like, whoa. Like, why is it? It doesn't stop. It's 24-7. He was like, yeah. Like, you can buy and sell it anytime you want. So I think that's what really hooked. That was my hook into crypto was like, wow, this this is a currency. This is a global currency that no one, no singular group owns. Like no government, no government entity owns it. Um, no bank is in control of it. It's it's universal. Almost anyone can can buy it if they have a a a, a device that's connected to the internet, and it trades twenty four seven. And on the other, on the flip side, stocks. You know, on the Eastern time zone, straight from 9.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. 
p.m. Monday through Friday excluding all of this. Dude, it's so fucking frustrating. And it's it's one of those things that pisses me off on Friday evening is when some shit goes down over the weekend. You're like, so if nobody can buy or sell stocks when the market is closed, why the fuck does the market open? And it drops. Like, how does that even make sense? Because you purchased it and if no one could sell it, shouldn't the price stay the same? So that's interesting you're bringing that up about Bitcoin because I could see that as a huge advantage. Just the quick liquidity of get rid of it at a timestamp of your choosing. It's it's so frustrating when, when you know something's going down and you can't like aftermarket. Maybe I don't know how to aftermarket sell, but it just seems like that's like an insider's game to stocks that really... Um, I don't know. It makes me believe in the Illuminati or some shit. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, when I was sort of learning about limit orders and how this working, same goes. You know, once once the security hits a certain price, it'll automatically sell or or automatically buy, depending on what type of order that that like the um, either a broker or the investor puts through. It can cause a huge shift, and then you have quarterly earnings as well, which can be if you're trying to play those. And your, your swing trading goes like earning times. It could be, it could almost be like gambling. <laughs> Very dangerous. Yeah. Oh, so do those stop limits trigger even after the market's gone? Like if I, so I've just got basic for uh, anybody listening or just to make it like relative. I'm Fidelity online, right? Fidelity.com, username, password. I got my money in there. So I can do limit orders, but I feel like that expires end of the day end of this trading day. Am I wrong about that? To the best of my belief, you have, there's like a 30 minute uh, leeway after the market closes Okay. Um, for limit orders and stop losses. And I believe the same, as we said before, market owners as well, is that, that 30 minute time window. Gotcha. But yeah, that wouldn't apply to Saturday or Sunday when like things go terrible, which again, you're like, right. it just... In a very basic sense. All right. So we seal the deal. The store closes at five o'clock on Friday afternoon and there's a hundred shoes in the store. When you wake up on Monday morning, nine o'clock, there should still be a hundred shoes in the store. And all of a sudden there's like, wait, there's a thousand shoes in the store and the shoes you owed are no longer worth that much money. And you're like, how did that happen? Who snuck in and put 900 extra shoes in the store? And you're just like, someone did. (laughs) And it, that's a weird, th- sorry, but that's like always been my beef with stocks, which is very frustrating for someone who's trying to time it, but I don't have like, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not in it enough to like have a predetermined price. I'm still more of like a gut trader, I guess, if that makes sense. Like I read about things. I read about the um, companies that I've bought stock in and I'm like, okay, they'll probably top out at this price. And I don't know enough to like, look at the metrics of the company to determine my own target price. I just basically Google around and go to like five, six different websites and try to like triangulate. Okay, everybody's basically saying the medium price is gonna be $40 a share. So I'm gonna be happy if it hits $30 a share and I clear 25%. You know what I'm saying? Like that's basically my philosophy. But it, uh, I don't know, man, the weekend's, the after hours are killing me. <laughs> so, all right, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I guess I'm constantly gonna be that guy just like um, personally reflecting. But so that's the first thing that I didn't know about um, crypto is that it kind of just, you can trade it whenever. 
Yes, yeah, whenever, 24-7. Got you. And particular apps? So like Fidelity.com for me for stocks, particular apps or anything like that? Absolutely. So there's there's a slew of apps out there. And I think it was important. Well, I'll, I wouldn't find the exchange. So similar to if you've ever been to a mall or you've been to an airport or just a kiosk desk, you, know, you have like a, an exchange, like currency exchange desk. Let's say I want to exchange U.S. dollars for uh, for Mexican pesos or I want to exchange um, U.S. dollars for, for euros, for example. They have exchanges on, on apps as well, and one of the most popular is Coinbase. And there's there's Coinbase, which is pretty popular. There's Crypto.com, uh, which is very popular, and I think they just bought out the Staples Arena yeah, in Los Angeles. They're <laughs> 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 making their presence known. There's um, FTX, which is a, a trading platform. Uh, it was it's built. It's kind of like exchanging cryptocurrency, but it's built for trading. And it was important to notice that these cryptocurrency exchanges, um, very their user interface is very friendly, very user friendly, um, and it's it's really easy to swapping uh, your dollars for, for another currency. So if you want to swap your dollars for a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, uh, you can do that, or Ethereum, uh, or Dogecoin, or Litecoin. The list the list goes on, and it. It's it's very they what what's really cool is that these apps I I can speak on Coinbase they have a gamified way of um, helping you learn about the platform and they'll they'll pay you in a certain uh, platform's cryptocurrency for learning about their coin and learning about their infrastructure and how they they go about like what's unique and novel about their token and so I think that's incredible because that that. That brings people on, like, oh wow, like I want to learn about this coin. It's it's a completely different model to where, you know, instead of paying for a course to learn about trading stocks, um, in this new digital environment, which, which you call or era that we call Web three, which is the era of decentralization, you get to learn and get paid for for learning. So it completely flips the model on its head, and it's it's pretty revolutionary. I like to say. What do you what do you have to learn? Like so, like a stock. Hey, I think it's low. Let me buy it, and I'll hold it till I want to sell it. Like, what is there to learn about? Why would somebody pay you to learn about their interface, their app, or their crypto? I, I think let me go back to the. Well, if I could start off by defining some some more terms. Yeah. If we start off with, it's, there's this really popular term called Web three, and Web three is a decentralized era of the internet, but it's like, okay, well, what is Web3? Obviously, in Web3, we have to understand Web2 and Web1. And Web1 is what I like to call it, what is called the read-only state of the internet. Sean, if you could think back to those days of dial-up, those days of uh, AOL, AOL Messenger, going into Yahoo, Hotmail.com, pre-Google days where websites were pretty static. You know, there was a lot of information online, but you really couldn't do much besides interact with it, read it, print it out, you know, set up an email account, um, buy a domain, I guess. But there really wasn't much to do uh, within that, that that stage. And I was pretty young, or probably wasn't born yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my wheelhouse, man. AOL, that dial-up, dude. You used to get charged like cell phones 
back in the day by like the minutes you would use, you would purchase like a disc with like 300 internet minutes and shit like that, man. <laughs> like, oh, man. yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. We were, um, or it would like charge you long distance on your phone bill for your house phone. And then all of a sudden you'd get like a $500 phone bill because you were on the internet all Friday night doing whatever in a chat room, you know, like talking to somebody like that. I remember those days. I, I think I accidentally did that with uh, my mom's cell phone and got got in, in big trouble. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was. It, so that that's basically that's the mid to late my teens. So that's what you're talking for me. Gotcha. Yeah, those were yeah. It's called like the, the dino days yeah. of the internet. <laughs> Dude, it's, and, it was really weird. And then after that, after the web one era, you have web two where things are. Uh, progressing and getting a little bit more advanced, which is called the read and write state of the internet. And so, Web One had these programs that you could use, like Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, uh, PowerPoint, etc. But once you kind of took it to a new level, with this read and write state of the internet, um, this came to well, we got the advent of social media. So, you get things like like MySpace, um, apps like Napster, and then Facebook. Um, and then sub apps like Instagram and Pinterest and Reddit. And now it's, it's moving past the forum stage and now a stage where users can now publish their content and share with their friends in a way that's never been seen before and can engage in, in lightning speed. Uh, you no longer have to, you know, go to one website's forum or log into your site. Now you can just follow their page on your favorite social media platform and you can create your own content, whether it be, you know, you like videos on YouTube or a post on Tumblr or Facebook. I think Tumblr is now quote unquote dead, but yeah, you get the point. Um, you have apps like Twitter, posts, instant messages. You have, you know, these websites that make creating a blog easier like squarespace or wix etc um there's the the gates have now they have barrier entries on the lower so we don't need as much technical expertise to do these types of things the problem with web2 though is that when you publish your your content online you really don't own your content these the gatekeepers do uh, the the facebook's own it and they sell your data to advertisers and they they receive money on your behalf for your eyeballs and for for you scrolling all day or liking certain things and when you click on click on the ad and go to the site facebook is getting paid from from the advertiser for their digital real estate so it, it kind of sucks for users because it's like wow we get to use this their content for free and we get likes and engagement and get a little dopamine kick off of that but what are we really getting in return unless we have a business and have a call, a specific call to action. Yeah. So I'd um actually just had a musician on the pod um, a couple of days ago. She's going on tour and she was talking about Spotify versus back in the day when she was selling CDs. So she would sell CDs two for 20. It would cost her $4 to make a CD. So $8 overhead. So she's clearing 12 bucks, basically almost 300%, right? 200% easy profit. Now you listen to her, her whole album on Spotify. She doesn't even make three cents. <laughs> it's three tenths of a cent per listen on Spotify. Oh. 
So you've got to listen to 10 of her tracks and she gets three cents for you listening to her entire album on the ride home for Spotify. Think about that. So I like when you're talking about you don't get to profit off of your own content, it's something where she's very grateful for Patreon and Patreon still takes 10% for just organizing for her. For people like me, it's um, the lower the Patreon donation, the higher the percentage is, but she was grandfathered in. But Patreon's taken 10% as like a finder's fee to organize someone giving her money. And she's happy with that <laughs> compared to Spotify, which is three tenths of a cent per listen, man. I mean, that is outrageous if you think about an artist creating content and what the value of that is and the time and the effort and not only the money that they put into the production of it. So I can't imagine people who are like posting videos with decent production value or even just the creative time that goes into like the editing or the thinking of it. So that, that I don't know. all that to say like that is a very interesting web two way to think about it because yeah, you're posting your stuff to YouTube, to wherever, but they, the companies themselves tend to reap the profits of your creative content, not you as an individual. It is, it is really crazy. It's like, we're getting, we're getting marginally better to a degree. And then it's like, well, some, some company or some, someone's like finds a way to take advantage of that. Or what I think is also happening in the music, music industry space about too, is that it's got really saturated. It's there's just so much variety to choose from. It's like wow, well, well now I can spread my content all across the globe. It's like wow, well, as from a musician standpoint, I had to compete with all of these other artists in this huge scene. So I, I think there there are pros and cons to it, and it's it's like wow, well, there's there needs to be a change. I think that's, that's a great segue for what 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 Web three allows. And Web3 is read, write, and own. So you have the benefits from Web2 and Web1, Web but now it's decentralized in a way that no gatekeeper really owns your content. Um, and what I mean by that is that thanks to decentralization, if you're a musician and you want to create um, music and put it out online for sale, um, you can actually sell it and you actually own it thanks to the blockchain and find <laughs> to find out what a blockchain is all this is it's a distributed uh, ledger uh, that holds data in a chronological order and it can't be deleted can't be edified uh, can be edited uh, nor can it be modified except on certain occasions um and depending on on whose whose chain it's on and it, thanks to that it's like well, if you create something, you have a certificate of authentication thanks to the blockchain, which can be described as an NFT. And if someone wants to buy your music, they can buy it outright. And you can gain much more of a, of a profit uh, in that, that manner versus going through Spotify. And what I've also been able to see uh, online as, a, as an observer is that as the musicians' popularity is going up in the Web3 space, it also goes up in the Web2 space as well. They're also going to increase in streams on platforms like Spotify and Apple Music or, or Tidal. So I think that's, that's also incredible. 
Yeah, I get lost on the blockchain part. And I remember hearing about it like four or five years ago. And I was talking maybe with my uh, brother-in-law at the time about like, we were talking about Bitcoin when it was like a thousand dollars. And we we're like, should we throw a couple grand at this thing? And he was like, nah, man, blockchain's where it's at. Like understanding the blockchain is really what you want to figure out. Like the company that gets blockchain. And I'm like, yeah, but what is blockchain? And both of us like started Googling and we weren't smart enough to figure it out. And the best thing I can like compare it to is like when Neo starts seeing the algorithm in the matrix of like zeros and ones. And then after reading and now in whatever, 2022, it's like, so you get a server and there are these different algorithms that you always, that are going to like end the world's energy from constantly consuming and constantly running to make sure that people get paid <laughs> and everybody knows exactly who has what. And I have no idea if that's correct, but that's basically where I'm at with blockchain, where it's these servers on servers just running, sucking all the energy out of our power grid to make sure anyone who wants to access it, which I don't even know how you would become a part of it. I guess you're a miner. <laughs> and like, that's, that's going to be the doomsday. Um, that's going to be the destruction of the planet. Feel free to correct I, anything. <laughs> I respectfully um, I disagree a, a little bit. Uh, there's there are different types of models when it comes to uh, the blockchain. And if if I started off, if I could use Bitcoin's example, yeah, uh, Bitcoin uses a proof of work um, model or protocol, uh, however you want to frame it. Which they, if I can, if I can backtrack just a little bit. How I understand a, a blockchain working versus a computer and a, and a client server uh, model working is that with a blockchain, as long as there's um, two or more nodes uh, that are active or, or two or more computers that are on the blockchain, the blockchain will, will never cease to run. Can I, like, ha is this a secret society? Could anybody get onto this blockchain? Anybody can can get on the blockchain. And, like blockchain.com? Like where you, node. is it on the dark web? How do you get to a blockchain? You can you can well to get on the block to to publicly view a blockchain, you could use a um a blockchain explorer and it'll help you, you know, look up certain transactions. Um you can check it's also public as well. Most blockchains are public, so huh. it's also a pro and a con because anyone if they have your your address to your wallet, they can look up to see what the holdings inside your oh, wallet. Oh shit. All right. So then I'm thinking of, I believe there was some sort of like NFT that Melina Trump bought of her own. And I thought somebody came out and she was like, she's running up the price trying to make her art like seem valuable. And they tracked it. And she was like, wait, she just bought her own thing for like 10 times. <laughs> like what she was asking. So that's how, and I'm almost positive that story is true. But like if, so then that's how it is. You go to a, is it, do you use it, access it through the internet? Is there a certain app? How do you? You can access it through the internet for, I believe you can access uh, Bitcoins. And there's, there's multiple websites as well. You don't have to use one, which is, which is really cool. Uh, for, I know for Ethereum, there's Etherscan, not IO, which is a very popular one within the space um, that you can use. The, and I'm, I'm always learning something new every day about how it works and how to search and filter transactions, how to, how to track different things. There's other apps that helps uh, to visually 
trace transactions. It can be kind of hard online when you're looking and, and trying to trace transactions and just seeing this whole string of alphanumeric characters and be like, yo, what, what, what the hell is going on? Did I, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I lost you for a second there. Oh, no, oh, no worries. God. There's, there's a part, there's a second part to your question that you asked as well. Let me try. I know that. Yeah, it was just, so if you can access it through these different websites and you're seeing it like, I, I guess you would read it almost like code and you just can like filter through. Yes. Yeah. And some of it is, is human readable. God, I think the more you play around with it, the easier it is to, to really understand. I've watched the same video on YouTube three times to, to learn how to read a blockchain. And I've watched last year, I had to watch the video like 10 times just to understand it. Then explaining it to my friends uh, helped it, helped, helped me understand it easier and deepen my retention. And how I explained the blockchain to my mom, I was like, well, my mom was born in the 60s. And I was like, mom, do you know what accounting books are? She was like, yes, you know, she knows what accounting books are. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, what are the, the problems with accounting books? It was like, well, one, somebody can, you know, erase and edit the, an accounting book. Uh, they can fudge the numbers. And, you know, if it happens, if somebody loses the accounting book, the physical book, if it gets burned, if it gets lost, um, if somebody throws it out the window, um, somebody replaces it with, with a fake one, you know, these are all threats that can happen. And that data's integrity is lost. And I was like, well, mom, what if there was, what if this accounting book is online in a way that anybody could, with, with a physical, with a digital device could access and view at any time. And, you know, it was a way that this is secure. Every transaction is, it's, it's all, it's all permanent. Is in a permanent record that's in a chronological order. And I was like, well, man, that's, that's a blockchain. And how it, how it works is every time data is created, it gets stored in a block. And that, that block is verified by uh, by miners who run uh, these, as as time goes on, uh, these, these blocks. Well, I'm sorry, let me backtrack. These miners run these computers that, solve cryptographic puzzles uh, that solve um, and input in the data on the blockchain. And after after the data gets mined, then comes another block. And what happens is there's a, a model that a, ma a majority amount of the miners have to agree or the computers have to agree that a transaction is either true or false for that for the data to get inputted onto a yeah. block. See, that's where I get lost, man. So now I'm trying to like picture this block. So if I buy a Bitcoin and that Bitcoin's mine, I know it's a, a, a what, 50, 60 grand at this point, but whatever. So I, I buy a Bitcoin and like, how does, if you're a miner, how does your computer know that that Bitcoin is Sean O'Grady's by this weird algorithm thing? And then all of a sudden when I push purchase, <laughs> checkout, <laughs> and like I transfer my 50K into the computer system to go who knows where, I guess I bought it from somebody. Like then I, I, that's where I get lost. Like how does the computer solving an algorithm give me proof of purchase of a Bitcoin? If 
I was technical enough to explain it. I would, but there is a, um, the great thing about it is that every cryptocurrency and every blockchain has what's called a white paper, which is their, their way of explaining the rules and the algorithm and the math that goes behind, you know, what we, the way, what runs in the background, what we don't get to see behind it, behind our digital devices. And so I've never, I've tried, I've attempted to read the Bitcoin white paper and I stopped at like page two or three because I was like, okay, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Gotcha. I think I'm just going to have to watch them do it once you watch someone else break it down. But I think it's it's really convenient in today's day and age because I think it's similar to say like, well, hey, I can turn on light switch on and off. Yeah. And I know that, you know, like when I turn the switch on, light will come on and turn it off. You know, light will turn off. But I don't know, you know, what's going on in the background. I don't have to understand Ohm's law to, to understand, you know, or understand, you know, AC versus DC. Yeah. Um, Dude, so much shit. Like how many people know how to run yeah. a car? Like you just take for granted a car starts, a jet engine's going to go, water's going to come out of the faucet. And I guess maybe that like that blockchain, whatever gets produced with my identification, what I picture it as my identification purchasing the Bitcoin then gets molded or somehow formed into a block with that Bitcoin. And then all of a sudden, some weird formula gets sent out to all these computers that figure it out and say, okay, Sean did it. It's his now. Like, I, that's the most basic way I can think of it. But I, I, what you're saying is we don't know how electricity works to accept that like when I flick a switch, a light's going to come on. It's just like this one weird leap of faith with consistent feedback, now that electricity's worked enough <laughs> that we all accept it. It's, I guess Bitcoin is like getting to that part where you just accept that blockchain is gonna keep track of it. Absolutely. And I think there's, it's, there are some issues when it comes to the proof of work system uh, that, that cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin uses because each how the algorithm works is that these miners are paid a reward for for mining these blocks on the blockchain and it mathematically gets gets harder by the years and so their payout is also get gets halved which they call the bitcoin has has a halving every four years where um the reward amount is gets um it's split in half. And because of that, um, these miners uh, form pools where um, they'll have these huge rigs of just, uh, computers and GPUs uh, that run. And because they use up so much energy, it's starting to become a, an issue. But what's cool is that there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of ecological sustainable solutions. I guys, I've seen thermal power, um, as a solution to help, you know, power on uh, these these mining rigs. Uh, there's things like like hydro solutions and, and wind solution. I've even seen something. I read a, a news post about a volcano being used, like geothermal energy yeah. being used to help power rigs. I was like, wow, like how does that you know work? Um, so it's. Do you know why they need to keep expanding? the miners because so for just bitcoin in general like there are no more bitcoins right it's a scarcity thing there's a finite amount of them 
So why do you need to keep having these people mine and solve these algorithms? Is it because every new transaction needs to be stored on the blockchain and then there's only so much room where you need another server to like add to the blockchain? From my understanding, there's, I believe, 19 million out of the 21 million um, Bitcoins have already been mined. Um, whenever I online, the last Bitcoin we mined in the year 2140. So I, I, I don't think I have a technical expertise to answer your questions to see like a wide miners of your thing. I just don't think it's that advice from, um, from having a, a machine as a node on the blockchain. Yeah, I was reading about that. And it, it's weird because like even now, like governments, I think it was El Paso, they got like three servers or something donated. And they're basically like, hey, it's only going to cost the equivalent to running three vacuums all day. And they're like, but we're going to mine Bitcoin for our town and it's we're going to see about the profitability. And then it was like, but if it keeps getting halved, should, I don't know, and this is completely a side note, but it's like, should governments even be getting into Bitcoin stuff if it is a diminishing return on investment if you're a miner? So what's cool is because with Bitcoin, you can prove that there's a scarce amount thanks to the blockchain and thanks to a white paper that was written by the anonymous or anonymous person or anonymous group of people known as Satoshi Nakamoto who who wrote out the guidelines and wrote out like how it works and it was the person or, or group of people to um, to deploy it. And then that happened, I believe that was, was that 2009? When that, yeah, that was 2009. Uh, when that first happened, January 3rd, 2009. So because of the blockchain, you can prove that there are only 21 million Bitcoins in existence. And because 19 million of them have already been mined so far, and plus there's like other millions that have been lost due to other people passing away, people throwing their C phrase to your wallet, which is also a, a huge problem. Yeah, dude. Um, there was a guy in England that fucking lost. I might, I think we might have brought it up on the last pod. Like a dude lost it in a dump in England. It just threw it away on a USB port. Whatever the blockchain was that like allowed him to log in, he offered to give the town like half of the Bitcoin. If they let him excavate it, he was going to front the cost. And then if they found it, he would give it back to the town. Town was like, nah, we're not going to like dig up an entire dump and ruin our environment for you. Sorry. <laughs> this sad story. This is one that's a, that's a hard um, loss to follow right there. Yeah, I bet. But like, so then like that Bitcoin's just out of the 21 million that will be out in circulation, like however many Bitcoin he had of that 21 million, it's just gone forever, right? It's pretty much gone forever. Yeah, which makes the other ones more valuable because now it's the scarcity principle, right? Yes, and because of that, a lot of people refer to Bitcoin as digital gold. Since there's only a, a finite amount that will ever be made, and it's, Bitcoin is also the first uh, working cryptocurrency. It's like, wow, well, this is this this is a, the first ever. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like having... If we knew how much gold was on a, on a planet Earth, and we could prove that there was a finite amount, and we we already know that gold is a rare resource from a from a consumer's perspective, quote unquote, on what the what big government is doing, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> because we know it's rare and it's it's valued by um, by the market, it has there's value attached to it, and the same happens with Bitcoin. Like it used to be worth. Um, you know, 
cents on a dollar and then it became worth, you know, a, a couple of dollars and then, you know, $20. And then as time went on, as more people started to find out about it, you started to gain value. So, you know, now it's, I, I, I'm not sure where it's at. Um, as I said last time I checked, it was like around $48,000, but I think that scarcity model plus with more people finding out about it and then you have the utility of it, more people using it as a permissionless value of exchange to send it in between, you know, countries, especially with in countries that don't have a, a very strong, um, you know, fiat infrastructure. There's like, wow, well, no bank can interfere with me receiving this, this store of value that, that will hold its weight across other um, nations. And so you can imagine what that does to does especially in countries like like Venezuela where inflation has just gone up an absurd amount of percentage and then this, this currency holds value in it in a, in a, in a non-fluctuating way as high as someone else's currency so it's like wow this is pretty revolutionary yeah but it's literally just holding its value because the like how is it not a meme stock I guess is again just to be the boomer guy because what is behind it, at least the dollar that's no longer has gold behind it has like the United States government behind it. It's like crypto just has a bunch of fucking hipsters behind it that think it's cool. And that's why it's worth $50,000 per, you know, like it's just such a weird concept. I, I think that's one way to look at it. And I think, I think it can be valid, but there's so many other, there's so many other angles uh, to, to look at as well. And I think once you start to dive in and see it from um, see it from from a cryptography point of view, uh, you see it from a new age point of view as a new a new store of because Bitcoin is also Bitcoin is dope because you you can look at it from two lenses. One as an asset uh, to invest in. Uh, that is that's shown to continually rise in price for for the past ten years, and also as as a currency as well. It's like wow, well, this is what has this ever been done before? I but, I don't know. Like I you can look at the the tulip, um, <laughs> the tulip trading that went on in the 1600s, but that was when, when that tulip thing happened in um, in in Holland. But I think I think this is actually sustainable. Wait, what was the Holland thing? Yes. So uh, there's this thing. It's, it's funny because this gets brought up from time to time as, as an argument to NFTs and an argument to cryptocurrency. Um, it's something I had to reread. Uh, there was tulip mania that happened in uh, the 1600s um, in the Netherlands, or well, it's back then, I think it was called Holland. And where the price of of tulips that were used as as an as an asset class, I just went up an absurd amount of money um, to the point where uh, the every where the price of a tulip costs more than getting services done at at the local a local tailor um, or a local craftsman. It, it just went up an absurd amount of value. Um, I think it's one of those black swan events like, well, well why does this, this rare thing happen 
And nobody knows at the time, but you look back, you, you can see why it happened. That's something I was just scrolling on Wikipedia uh, from last week and really just trying to understand like why, why that phenomenon happened. And there's a lot of counter arguments on all big ones. You know, it's just temporary. It's not going to be worthwhile. But I think it's, it's good past the test of time. You know, being conceived in 2009 is still being worth value 2022 and having having way more, you know, wide scale and national and international adoption. It seems weird to me because people buy Bitcoin with dollars. So you, it seems like you need to have another form of currency to get into Bitcoin because if there were nothing but Bitcoin and you're constantly then breaking parts of your Bitcoin off to purchase products, gas, pay for your electric, mortgage, whatever, like how would it continue to rise if you had to then keep bartering it? But that might be like a super economics thing that I'm getting into at that point. Yeah, I think that's where it comes. You, you can look at Bitcoin from an asset uh, lens, almost similar to socks, to where it, it, there's a there's a demand for this coin, and when a lot of people are buying, uh, the price of that asset starts to starts to rise. Yeah, uh, due to people buying buying the currency and in trading the currency. And so it is, it's a really good point. I think yeah, that's like <laughs> that's where ec- the economics uh, rabbit hole opens up. Yeah, I would need to get like a like a legit professor on here to help me understand like what would a crypto economy solely based on Bitcoin look like? Um so uh, like maybe I and I've totally fucked up my whole um I don't even know what it what I would go with <laughs> my talking points that I originally had thought about. But aside from Bitcoin, it is like Bitcoin the most popular because it's so finite compared to all these other cryptos? If people are just like gonna Google what's a crypto, like is is there a certain amount of crypto that's out there? Do people just get to create? Like, do you have your own crypto that if enough people think it's cool, people can buy a manual crypto or is that an <laughs> NFT? Um, I don't know where you wanna go from there, but that's, I guess, where my mind is. Sure thing, I think because Bitcoin is was the first uh, cryptocurrency ever created and it's successful. Uh, that's why it's it's so it's so popular. And every other cryptocurrency outside of Bitcoin is known as is dubbed an altcoin or an alternative coin. Uh, so Ethereum is is an altcoin, Litecoin, Polkadot. Um, it, it, there's there's a, there's a tons other Bitcoin. They're 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 all altcoins. And what's what's also cool is that yes, anybody can create their own. Cryptocurrency, you could hire somebody on Fiverr to make it for you, or you know, there's tutorials on YouTube to show you how to do it on on a Binance chain um, or on Ethereum chain as the ERC twenty uh, token. So it's, I, I think it's become really cool because you have you also have private companies um, like Dapper Labs um, that created a Flow blockchain, and it's it's a private. Even though it's a private company, it really goes against the notion of decentralization that nobody publicly owns it. Because if somebody does, you know, own that currency, it's not really decentralized. It goes against the notion, but I don't think it's 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 a it's a it's a wrong versus right thing. It's just a it, apple versus orange type of thing. 
Okay. <laughs> well, so what was the point of talking about the company? This company created their own crypto or alt crypto, altcoin. Yeah, they create. Yep. So uh, the Flow created um, Flow blockchain. They own the Flow blockchain, and within the Flow blockchain, they have their own Flow coin that you can buy and and sell um, at a at a price. And they also have. It's, it's so cool because this is a, it's almost like they, they set the new standard for how to build a, a crypto company in 2022. And they've been around, I believe, since 2017. Um, they have uh, their own NFT companies built on top of their blockchain. And so you have things like NBA Top Shot, where you can buy and sell um, video clips or called moments that are very similar to trading cards. Mm-hmm. Um, on on a blockchain using um, using a DAO wallet to to buy and sell uh, between like in their own network, and that goes for WNBA as well. And they've added the UFC uh, to their network. Um, they've added the NFL uh, to their network. Yeah, they've they've gotten um, the IP from Darker Suits to sell Dr. Seuss related NFTs oh, on top of their network. It's, it's wow, this is, this is really pretty, pretty cool. And they've also made it to where they, they've lowered a barrier entry to where you all use a credit card to, to buy and sell these NFTs on top of their network. God, dude, that's but I think I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, just, just cause like, student, just cause fucking like student debt is about to get canceled. Now I'm like in my head thinking of all these fucking millennials like at 18 years old with a $5,000 credit limit scouring, looking for some like roundhouse knockout kick that they think at the moment's worth $4,800. And they're like, you know what, man? It's going to be worth 20K in a year. Let's max out the card. Dad will be mad, but he'll get over it. And then like all this debt gets laid on because to me, and it's again, the boomer, like it comes back to, you only get in the game if you have, if you create the content, which is the cool part. So it seems like a marketplace for people that can create content to see if others value it, which is awesome. But how else do you get on there? You gotta have dollars. It's not like you, I guess you could go work and trade your time. And if someone could then pay you in the Bitcoin for that or the altcoin, and then you could go purchase it. But that's, I don't know, man, I'm sorry. That just where my head started going with this whole, you're still buying in. And as soon as you said credit card, I was like, oh Lord, that's all we need <laughs> is a bunch more debt, real life debt in the crypto world. I think it's very similar to stocks where if you're, if you're swing trading stocks or if you're long-term investing, it's very important to set rules for yourself. And when I first started investing in stocks, I really didn't have a lot of, I didn't have no rules. I broke my own rules because yeah. it was just so entertaining to me. It was like, it's something like a video game where it's it's gamified where you, you make a quick amount of profit in a short amount of time due to how many shares you buy. And then if you're trading options, it's buying stocks from steroids to where you can make a lot of money in a very short amount of time, uh, depending on how many contracts you buy and what price you buy that and the expiration date that you set you set that contract for. And then, yeah, I think on top of that is it's like, it's why a lot of people in the crypto space call each other degenerates or label themselves as a, as a degen because it's, 
the amount of risk is is so high if you don't know what you're doing. If you don't set your own rules about, okay, what am I going to exit this position? Is this a short-term buy or a long-term hold? Uh, what's yeah? What, when's my exit? What's my exit price at? And when when do I want to exit at? If you don't set your own rules, it's very easy to set yourself up for failure. And I did that to myself very early on, and and I have tons of battle scars to show for it. And I did last year. I did buy an uh, <laughs> NBA Top Shot NFT on um, from from Dapper Labs on a on a credit card, and they quickly. Each of these NFTs have their own microeconomy to where they have they can have their own bear market and bull market. Somewhere it sucks is you know when it's uh, when it's oh wow well buyers are absolutely you know devouring it and the demand is high, which means the asset price is up uh, for free token or, or wow like wow everybody's selling which means that it's it's now it's it's oh, it's it's the price is crashing. And I, I entered in right around the end of the bull market. And it's like, wow, my asset, it, it crashed. I bought a, um, it was, it was like, it was a 2011 themed, um, Derek Rose NBA top shot moment. And it, it quickly crashed in value. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, wait, what? Dude, why <laughs> From $3,000 to like. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't cut you off. How much? Let's make fun of you a little more. You said thousands. Yeah. <laughs> How much did you buy this for? I, I bought it for three thousand dollars on my credit card, and it was it was because of um, I, I was like, wow, well, all the moments collectively were going up. I was like, well, well, if I buy this it, asset for three thousand dollars, who knows how much it'll be in the next week? And I think it's a trap for set for millennials, it's set set for Gen Zers, and now you know the new iGen or Gen Alpha. Um, that are coming into the game that don't know what they're doing is to see, oh, well, price only go up. <laughs> no, that's, that's false. Yeah, well, like, I wonder during that time was like, I know Derek Rose had a little bit of a resurgence, I want to say for the Timberwolves a couple of years ago. Do you remember what was going on in the world? That raise, that like rose, <laughs> pun on intended, <laughs> Derek Rose's value? I, I don't know. I saw watching uh, basketball. Um, in high school, and did you stop watching basketball? Bought, and you bought a Derrick Rose <laughs> NFT. Coincidentally, <laughs> um, buying selling moments on NBA Top Shot, I, I started getting back in, but then after I got burned, and after all my assets collectively crashed, um, of value, which you call flip, NFTs are measured on their floor price, uh, which is the lowest trading asset um, I, that everyone is selling at. You, you can track those either via the website you're buying it from or a third-party aggregator does a great job of saying, well, saying different statistics, things of that nature. You can track the trading price uh, of it. It sounds and, like Kelly Blue Book for like cars. Like everyone is for some reason given Kelly Blue Book all this value power of like my car is worth this much cuz Kelly says it is. It's, it's very similar. If, if somebody is it was listed for sale, it's you can almost think about it as eBay to where if someone lists an asset for sale, your asset is within the same category or the same quote unquote collection that was called an NFT space. Um 
it's it's ranked against that. And if somebody else's prices, if somebody else is looking to exit out of their asset and try to sell it ASAP, it was to undercut the floor price and to sell it immediately. Right. And um, if there is enough demand, a buyer will will buy it. And usually it's twenty it's twenty four seven, just like um, almost like like buying crypto. Except there has to be a buyer willing to buy on the other side. So if, if there's no buyer willing to buy, it could sit for a minute or a long time. Right. And did you want? Are do you still have these NFTs? Are you holding on for the market to rebound? <laughs> oh shit! You froze up on me a little bit. Sorry, Emmanuel. So I, and I've, I've, I've given up on the project. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you? And it, my my internet just went unstable. Um, I'm so I missed out. Did you actually sell? I did. I sold quite a few. I sold quite a few. Um, and yeah, I probably should do a better job at tracking how much I made from those sales. Uh, but. I know that there, there's a process for me getting my money because for a private blockchain like um, like Flow, you have to go through a process called KYC, uh, which is called Know Your Customer, um, which is where they require you to scan or when they require you to take a picture of your face, you scan up your face and upload a legal document like a passport or a driver's license to verify that it's actually you who's buying um that asset and if you want to cash out that was the process you had to go through and mm. last year they were so busy it took about four weeks for that process to go through they were hiring people like crazy oh wow because the influx of people getting into the space um it was it was in the millions yeah dude that that opens up a whole nother pandora's that's something i didn't even think about like just straight up stealing someone's identity and like running up this big ass nft tab on them you know, like your identity gets stolen easy enough as is. Um, Can I go back? So NFTs, if you related them to just crypto in general, I understand the NFT is more of an actual product creation, compilation, video, JPEG. Like, like it's, it's something that's not something. It's something on a screen, basically. It's not something tangible you hold. It's something that you possess a link to, basically, right? Yes NFTs. and no. Oh my god! I see it. <laughs> You're dying on this shelf. There's, put your hand on. It. What's an NFT that you can physically hold in your hand that's not on a screen? Yes. Uh, so, physical art can also be an NFT, as and usually it's authenticated through. Um, like a digital sticker, uh, also called like an NFC tag, um, which is if you ever use Apple Pay um, or if you've ever waved your phone uh, or or Samsung Pay or Google Pay. Yeah. Uh, if, okay, so that, that uses NFC technologies where uh, your phone is communicating with a device. It's very similar to, to RFID, uh, but it's, it's, just, it's near field communication and they have these stickers or these tags, bracelets. Um, they come in different forms where you can you can slap it onto a physical item or invest it within an item to prove that that item is, is yours or prove 
where where it came from. You can you can lock that metadata inside of that tag. And it's being used. I think Nike used that first to authenticate um, jerseys at one point. I was playing, I played around with it for while I was at an internship just to see how far I could take the technology and what what else they could do. And now it's being used in the NFT space to um, to secure physical items and what artists some artists will do if they sell a digital item online they can pair it with their physical canvas or they just want to sell a physical item online uh, they can use that and create nft uh, to secure it on a digital space as well so that way it's like it's almost as if if you have a if, if a baby is born and they have a birth certificate that birth certificate is almost like a physical version of it of an nft and the digital counterpart will be the actual NFT on the blockchain. Okay. And how about it lose it there? I'm trying to make sense of it because it just seems so fucking weird. Like I make a picture and I want to sell you an image of that picture. It gets tagged. Your NFT that you purchase gets tagged to my actual picture. So do you own the picture or do you own the image of the picture or you could own whatever it is I want to sell you? I think you know your last answer to the last question. Yeah, I can own whatever it is that so you want to sell me. So then the and tag. That, I'm sorry, but I guess like what I'm thinking then is like, is the point of the tag so that I can't tell you, hey man, you own this physical picture, even though you don't have it. Here's the image, and then I go off and sell a bunch of other images of it because then for some reason, as a salesperson, I'm liable or that that what does that do to me if I. If I lie to you, does that make my like altcoin, my NFT credit score shit? Like, <laughs> do cops come for me? What what happens? So what's cool about the blockchain is that it can you can trace the transaction back to the originator and who it came from. Uh, so you have you have a way of creating, buyers have a way of doing the research more in depth of okay, is this person who they say they are? Is their wallet address connected to their social profile or their social media account? Verify that it's them. Are they are they verified on um, NFT platforms like OpenSea or Rarible, etc.? And what the physical NFC tag does, it acts as a signature. So if 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 I were to buy, let's say, like a a, a Michael Jordan rookie card, and it, uh, like his signature is is signed there, well, I, if I want to verify that it's true, I'd have to go to a third party grading company i think like i think it's called psa to check that okay like this is the real legit um you know micro jordan card or, or somebody else to verify that's it. a great point let me pause you on that because like and there was documentaries about like wine tags getting replaced and dudes hustling all these rich people selling fake wines but he like made his own wine bottles or his wine labels like people go to these trading shows all the time and just believe that there's some sort of greater authority that says yes. And it gives all sorts of credibility where you get hundreds of thousands of dollars for things because some other company has said it is okay. But I guess, and like, as you were explaining it, the blockchain, that makes more sense. Cause if you can actually go in and look at somebody's, it's basically like a rating system. If you can look at like, oh, they're a scammer, 
and you can actually see that, you get to authenticate it yourself. The blockchain does the authenticating. The blockchain, I'd say, is just, it provides that digital paper trail of, of transactions. And if, if, someone, if someone is a scammer selling something and they're not the original creator, you have a way to, to, to balance it. Uh, like there's, there's checks and balances where you can see, okay, well, you can compare two wallet addresses against each other and check their transaction history um, and check you know, what's, what's been sent in and out of their wallet. And if that person um, on their social media profile say, hey, this is my wallet address, or if they're verified on a, on a platform with a blue check mark, it's like, okay, wow, well, there's all the proof I need. And I think that's, that's great because it's like, oh, I, I know I need to trust the person on the other side. I have this, you know, this um, this record system that all I need to do is, is look there. I can, I can trust that. And that, yeah, like, like you said, it, it, there's no longer need for, for social proof. It's like, well, I can just go on the blockchain to verify it myself. Yeah, unless you want to, unless you're like me and you need some sort of third party person to be like, hey, I've looked at the blockchain for you and they're legit. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I got to be honest, man. The more you explain this world to me, the more I'm like siding with Warren Buffett about like, fuck this whole crypto, <laughs> fuck this NFT. <laughs> it seems like it's just completely built on this like faith this weird faith there isn't anything tangible but then it makes me question like why do i care so much about tangible things like what is a stock in a company anyway i own whatever 55 shares of apple the fuck does that mean right yeah, I, like, I, I think that brings up a great point i was reading sapiens by yuval uh, noah harari i never finished the book but in chapter one i he does a great job explaining um human evolution and things like companies are actually real they're real because we say they're real or if, if i think my startup is real and i have i have my co-founder i think it's, it's real it then becomes real but they're not actual you know real tangible things unless you know we say that there are there's a term to describe this not really i'm so mad I forgot what the term is to describe the word he used in this book. I probably go back and reread it. Uh, but it, it's like, wow, that's it's it's true. And now there's laws that are associated. There's there's non tangible laws that are associated with with companies. Like there's you know you can label your, your company you know a a sole proprietorship or a general partnership or an LLC or a, a C corp. The list goes on, and there's there's rules and there's tax advantages associated with that. But it's like, well, where did that come from? Somebody had to just make that up at first. Like, is that really tangible? And it's, it, the book is a way better job describing it. This is an eye came. I was like, wow. And it's really, it's really like if enough people believe in a thing, it becomes real. And there's associated value with that. And I think it happens to art too. If an artist says, I think an artist goes to a buyer and says, hey, well, how much do you think my painting is worth? I think that that kind of drops the buyer's confidence. And an artist, but artist says, hey, my, my work is worth $1,000. It's like, oh, well, well, now there are a group of buyers that buy into that artist's artwork. Is like, wow, well, I know that my work has value because the artist says it, it's worth this much. So it holds its weight. 
And if the artist passes away for some unfortunate reason, it's their appreciated price because that's what we, because they can't, there will no longer be, there's going to be scarcity yeah. and debt artists can no longer produce any more, any more content or any more work. Yeah, that in the limited, all I listen to is Freakonomics. And I think I took a 100 level economics class, the Freakonomics podcast, which is awesome. But I like the limited economist in me is like, it seems NFTs, crypto, altcoin, all that shit is like the market, a capitalist dream because the market gets to be whatever the fuck it wants to be. If everyone all of a sudden decided Bitcoin is shit, it would just go away and everybody's left holding their USB drives. And it's like, I can't pay my rent unless somebody wants this blockchain of numbers, letters, whatever this code is, someone will accept this for one month and allow me to stay in their place. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it, it's the market. The market is dictating value and it's based on the scarcity and the limitness of the Bitcoin. But see, like with the NFTs and the image, so like your Derek Rose highlight package, were you sure that could not be replicated? Like I can't YouTube 2011 Derek Rose highlights. What made that? That's where I get stuck too, actually. Now that I'm thinking about this on the NFT aspect, seems like you can Google anything. So why is, why is your image valuable compared to going through YouTube? Cause you don't have to wait through like ads. Are you basically on Spotify premium with your NFT? In, <laughs> in one word, proof. And I'll, I'll break it down. Similar to how, how basketball cards work or sports cards work or training cards work, for example, even Pokemon cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Every card has an addition and it has a serial number from that edition. And so and whoever prints it, whoever company prints it, prints it, they're only printing a scarce amount of those editions. Uh, okay. if, if you're a, if you're really into, you know, the buying and selling game, you know, I guess you can go and trace how much there are out of a given set or a given collection of that, um, of that edition. But because there's two numbers attached, you can see, oh, well, well I have number five out of 1,000. I had number six out of 1,000. And so it's, it's like, wow, well, I have a way to, to keep it. The issue is is the quality of it. You have main condition where it's perfect or it's it's never been open or only been touched once or been touched with, you know, I guess like like with gloves, special grade gloves. Yeah, right. You and keep it in a glass case. Like that was the big deal. Like, did you keep it in a binder with pages? Was it hard plastic? Did you have like the screws that went down on the four corners? But for like yeah. an NFT, like there's no, like you don't lose the condition of the image, right? Or can you? That's, that's, that's true. You don't lose, you don't lose the condition of the, of the image, but there's other factors in play. Uh, because it's a blockchain, you can trace where every, every serial number or every edition is and who owns what, or if it's been distributed or not. And so I think that that's that's an advantage where it's like, wow, well, I can I can publicly trace who owns what. If I can if I have proof that I own this asset or this this moment, this video, um, this video clip, that's that actually, you know, got it got authorized from the NBA 
NBA sign up on it. Napa Labs has as a contract with with NBA and their IP, so it's all good. It's official. It's like, well, 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 I own this asset, and I'm also entitled to any benefits or perks which you call utility in space I, I can receive from owning this asset. And sometimes NFC space is still do giveaways. Uh, they'll do airdrops where you receive a, a token or you receive um, spending credit due to owning a certain NFT. And you can you can be rewarded for now own for ownership. It's like, wow, what, what is this happening in the Web2 world? Okay, you might get, you know, email it's not like for email list and get you know the occasional discounts or birthday discount or or other promotional email. But this is a completely different model to where it's like, wow, I'm getting paid to own an NFT. Isn't it, because of isn't that a dividend though? Your... Isn't that the equivalent to a stock giving you a dividend? I wouldn't it's similar, but it's not because sometimes airdrops can be completely random. Uh, you don't know when it's coming. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's an unpredictable dividend. <laughs> right. And it, sometimes it usually only happens once for a certain protocol or, or a certain NFT. But for dividends, you expect them yearly or quarterly yeah. as long as that, that stock is, is, um, is, is beating its earnings per share. Right? God, dude, that's... um. Um, on your on your point though about um about like the, the boomers getting in, I think I think it takes a different model of of learning in order to truly get in. Every generation has has their way of, of getting into the space. And I think for, for web two it was like it was the introduction of the of the iPhone, the introduction of the smartphone. And for me it was like I got my first phone when I was in eighth grade and it was like, I understood it because I was already using other digital devices, handhelds, like, like a Game Boy, like Nintendo DS. So understanding the touchscreen was easy for me. Everything else just, just followed through. And for a generation above me, like they, they kind of struggled with the kind of things I was seeing as like a genius. I was just seeing like a genius with, with phones, but that's because we played around with it. We, we went into the settings for fun where we were connected to Wi-Fi. Like we we we've like unlocked developer mode in Androids. Like we we jailbroke the phones and did that as a service to get paid while we were in school, um, as like a side hustle. So you know, we were just we were just playing around experimenting with it. And we're seeing this happen with with the metaverse and and Gen Alpha and iGen. And then they're like some generation where they're on Fortnite all day. They're on Roblox. They're they're getting to interact with their friends online and talk to them online. And so, for them, creating content and buying different things like like item and avatar skins and and buying downloadable content DLC online for different games and you know buying and selling cash and V bucks and uh, whatever type of currency is locked to that game or to that to that environment or to that metaverse, this is just the next level for them. And so they, they get it like it's like they, they, they pass the flying colors. For us, we have to do a little bit more understanding on the background behind it to rationalize it. As we come, as we become older, we get more skeptical as a result. Yeah. I think that's just life in general. Well, dude, so we, we have to take a different approach to learning. No, you're, you're so right. Cause it's the environment, right? Like, why would I want a Corvette, right? 
well, because I want people to see me in that Corvette. Okay, well, well, if I'm not being seen out on the physical road, but I'm spending all my time in a metaverse, don't I want a Corvette? Whatever the fucking Corvette is, I want the Corvette so that I get the clout that comes with the Corvette. Now, if everyone has a Corvette, I'm not special for having a Corvette. So I have to find the exclusive, elusive, what is the Ferrari, the Tesla, the blank, right? And it all it is is a different environment, but it's the same human tendency of you're like you're 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 showing off your status. It's a status symbol, right? Like you're basically just a, a fucking peacock. You're just you're just showing off feathers, being like, "Hey, man, this is what I'm into. This is me," and you're giving off these signals. And it's just in a different spot. Like, why does a Picasso on my wall hold more value than an NFT? Well, the Picasso could burn and be gone. This NFT I can access with this password. So shouldn't that NFT actually be more valuable because I can always get back to it versus this tangible thing that could be gone in a flood, right? Like it's it, it really is a completely different mindset, but it's the same human element of, it comes down to like, is it fucking cool <laughs> to me? Like, is right. it cool? Do people right. feel it's cool? Oh, if people feel it's cool, then it's valuable. That, that, I think that, that is it too. Like the core human principle on it is it cool. Like, can I, can I show this off to friends? And it's like, if you can't participate, you're excluded. You feel left out. Nobody wants to be excluded. Everybody wants to be included. And if something is exclusive, but there's only a finite amount. You can prove that it's finite online in a way that anybody else can view. Anybody else can view that your thing is a real thing. Like your Corvette is a real grade A Corvette that came from a Chevrolet. Um, if you can do that in an online way, it's like, oh, well, not everybody can see, everybody can view. It's, it's verified for proof. And I think that that has value. I wrote a, an equation last year that undeniable proof or well, indisputable proof plus both indisputable proof plus a verifiable scarcity equals value and i think yeah if i think there's a third element that's missing like it has to be cool as well because nobody <laughs> thinks it's cool like it. <laughs> they are just a really low value i like verifiable verifiable scarcity because that to me is part of the skepticism. It's like, again, with going back to the Derek Rose, well, great, you're on the NFT. Good fucking job, you. I'm gonna go on YouTube or I'm gonna go to NBA.com and play Derek Rose's highlights. And I get to see the same shit you own. So, eh. But then it's like, well, I could own a Picasso print, but it doesn't make it the fucking Picasso. Like, so... Well, why is the Picasso worthwhile? Well, because it came from Picasso. Well, my NFT came from NBA. So I got it from the source. You're just watching somebody else get it from my source. And really the more I'm like listening to you and processing this, like it's, it really is the same shit. It, it, it's weird, man. It's fucking Zuckerberg's metaverse. It's parallel universes that are doing the same exact thing. It's just in a different spot. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. And I think for the NBA example, it's, it's kind of like, well, it came from the NBA, same way how you can go to a museum. Yeah. And everybody can give you a painting, but do you own it? No, but I can go see it anytime I want. 
Yeah, you, you know, can go to the gift shop, museum. dude, and you can get a jigsaw, right? You can get a 500 piece of the Mona Lisa, put it together, glue it, slap it on your wall. Like that shit ain't worth what the Mona Lisa's worth because it didn't come from anybody. But who did Mona Lisa? Was that Pablo? No, that was uh, Da Vinci, right? I want to say yes. I'm not sure. Oh, we're, look at us <laughs> flaunting our intelligence, all fucking ignorant. Yeah, I will have to Google it at some point. But yeah, like that that's the whole point of originality going to your point. The authentic the authentication of originality is where the value's at. And a lot of people can copy it, but you can't get over original. Yeah, we, we call those the right click save asers in uh in a and it, it went through or if somebody likes, oh, I can right click save as, or right. I can just take a screenshot. It's like, oh, well, well, yeah, you can, but you don't actually own anything. You're not entitled to the utility that this NFT provides. Uh, for example, um, Board Ape Yacht Club is like one of the most popular NFTs in this space, um, owned by a company, Yuga Labs. And Yuga Labs airdrop, they've done multiple airdrops at this point where they sent owners of this boarding yacht club nft um different nfts uh, such as um the most recent one was the other deep nft which boarding yacht club owners can claim which is a was like digital land in in the boarding yacht clubs in their in their metaverse what they called the other side um and they also sent them a few weeks back they sent them in coin like and it was at a time where we're stringing around, it was worth hundred thousand, like roughly hundred thousand dollars in value, and it's since then the price has, has gone up. Um, I think it's turning around around right now, seventeen dollars, and I, I think as low as it was around six dollars, and so it's significantly increased in value. And I think underlying with underlies it, what underlies art as well. What you have in common in the digital verse and physical space is community. Is there a community that appreciates your work and that values your work and is and goes literally goes bananas about your work, almost like in a cultish type of manner? Yeah. And I think that's community is neat because it's 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 literally the bedrock of <clears throat> any artist's or any project's foundation. Even if you think about companies like Apple, you know, they have they have a very early community that was diehard about their products and that was supported by the product. And Apple, you know, innovated for their customers. They knew what their customers wanted, what their community wanted before they even knew. And sometimes they did it. Like the, I'll talk about that. Like the, what's that thing called? The, um, um, the, the touch bar on the Mac. I think that was, that was terrible. <laughs> was it? You have things like, like AirPods too that people would just love. But that older people just don't seem to get, like, why would you cut out the, the, the physical, you know, the physical cord cable to, um, to head to earphones? That doesn't make sense. But then with it. You glitched. Apple, I'm recording on a Mac, and Apple heard you talking shit, and they glitched <laughs> you on purpose about cutting the cord. They were like, fuck this guy, slandering our product. <laughs> Would that be weird? Wouldn't that be trippy as hell if like Apple actually had some sort of like Edward Snowden, they're listening type thing. And it was like, slander us. Go ahead. Doop. 
Yeah, I, I think it would be crazy. They they probably do. They claim they don't because of you know data being encrypted and all. But yeah, they're supposed to be super I, private, right? But they they're not. They're listening right now. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I think it was. No, I was just going to set the scene. Last thing, older people, like companies knowing what people want before they want it, older people not accepting, like, I don't need a cord for my earphone. Yeah, I think it's, it's because of community that, that Apple can test these things out and get feedback from the market. And I think for NFTs, as an NFT holder, you're, 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 you're entitled to certain rights, depending on an NFT, depending on the community. You can vote on different proposals, similar to owning um, stocks as a shareholder within a company, and it's 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 a much more intimate connection between you and the the artist, and you and the you and, and your other community members that hold that same NFT. Thanks to apps like Twitter and Discord, where you can you know talk and communicate between members. And it's like like now like wow, like I, I found my own tribe because of the oldest NFT. You know, I've, I'm in my own tribe now. You know, I can talk with other members of that. They're interested in the same thing that I'm interested in. We can have our own events and, and virtual things online and all these other types of things. It also gives you access as well. Like I've got access to uh, to, to some parties held by that entity well, I own called an, the Atom Bomb Squad entity, which is created by The Hundreds, which is a streetwear brand based out of Los Angeles. And they held a private party back in New York um, in November with them in Coinbase. And if you held an NFT, you got admission to them. And it was just super exclusive. Oh, the most exclusive party I've ever been to because I was in three separate lines. I was like, you know, wrapped around a block. I was like, well, this is, this is crazy. But I was like, wow, people want to experience if I can get something as an NFT and more likely to use it. And I'm, I'm being. I'm reaping the benefits of it. The price of that asset can also increase as well. And if, if there's a limited amount, this is an exclusive, you know, members only club. It's almost like like having a membership in a way. Yeah, right. It's a it's a country club. It seems the the issue and what I'm getting to now with NFTs and crypto in my mind. I, I thought it was just young, stupid, like summer love type shit. Right? Like, oh, you found a hot girl. You've never been laid. She's the girl. Now all of a sudden you're infatuated. She's your everything, right? But now I'm shifting from that to like, it's actually art. Like, she doesn't have to be the prettiest girl to everybody. You just have to love her. And if you love her, for some reason, other people might love her. And that creates a market. But I can't get to the point where it's an actual asset. Cause it just seems so volatile. It just seems so like whimsical. All of a sudden it's not cool. Something cooler comes along and my value drops. Cause I have to maintain this vibe because there is no product. But then I started thinking about like, well, what makes my Apple stock go up or what makes my Boeing stock drop? It's like, well, they make planes dude. And when people buy planes, then your stock price goes up because they get more profits. And I can't get to the point of accepting crypto as a thing because for some reason I can't get to the point of being like, people are going to continue to buy it. I know people will continue to need planes. I think what's fucking me up is like, 
I still have to get into crypto or I cash out of crypto and I come back to dollars. I come back to verifications. I keep coming back to stuff versus going forward with their own exclusive. Like when you're in that exclusive club, you're in there because you submitted your government-based ID. That government is based on my tax dollars and my tax dollars are dollars. They're not crypto. <laughs> so like you're in there because you got an ID because I got American dollars in my pocket. And like as simple as that sounds, I keep coming back as I keep thinking of crypto and NFTs. I don't go forward. Is that making sense at all? Like That, that does make sense. That, I think. And I'm not saying you're wrong. From, I'm just like thinking out loud. I'm not trying to like shit on you or anything like that. Cause yeah. I, I get the market and honestly, like it's really fucking cool, man. Like it's its own market. It, it, it's awesome. It's like, I would think a capitalist dream to be like, let's see where the market goes. Let's let it play out. But I keep coming back to this weird reality of dollar, dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> I think it's valid because you, it's, it's coming back to what you know. And the unknown is, is scary. Yeah. Nobody likes unknown because it's uncertain. There's tons of risks involved. You could get hurt. You could, you could lose money. It's like, oh man, like I don't know what happened if I do dive all the way in. Like I don't even want to put putting my tone is already scary enough. And that's that's valid because if if something is new and novel, you have you have an adoption curve. Uh, it's kind of like 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 a like a sign graph. And right now in in NFC space, we're still at the at the early adopt adopters, uh, where where we're past um like we're we're, we're past like the like like the hippie is like now is starting to come to, all right like more every people people are starting to become interested in this, and I I think what might be able to break down the resistance very entry is like people coming to to either like in in real life conferences or different events and getting to see that that magic happen in real life in the physical plane of reality. And for some people, it might happen on a digital plane where they might have to buy their first cryptocurrency or buy their first NFT. And it's kind of like, when I used to work at Foot Locker um, when I was in high school. And the number one way to get somebody to buy a sneaker was to put the product in their hands. <laughs> if I could talk about a shoe all day long, but and until I put the product in their hands, they would stop looking at me. I would keep talking, but their, all their attention would go to the shoe. They would feel it. They would touch the soles, you know, rub the laces, pull the, pull the tongue, you know, stretch out, you know, to heal with, with their fingers, um, you know, like feel the material. Was it, was it leather? Was it um, fake leather? <laughs> was it suede? Was it, was it new book? And then they would try it on and then they would, they would lace it up to see, okay, how well does it fit? I put my, you know, my finger on on its toe box to see, you know, yeah. their toes, it's too, it's too tight. It's too small. And then there'd be a girl walking by that would stop and like give you the second look, and you'd be like, "All right, these are the pair," and you're out. Those, those are right. And I was like, "Yo, let me go ahead and walk with those. Walk with them around on the street. Like, yeah. you know, look at it in the mirror. You know, those, those your. I, I'd say to all the husbands, happy wife, happy life. And now the, now the wife is in agreement with me. Yeah. And it's like I, I'm using. I think that's the logos I'm using, I, I believe, um, or pathos, one of, one of the two. And now it's like the pressure on the husband to buy. And it's like, out of one. 
And I feel like everybody needs to have their full Hawker moments where they, they get to try out the their, their coin or their, NF, their first NFT. And they, they need to play around with it. They need to be able to experience it, experience what they can do with it, experience the market, um, and get in, get in touch and get a vibe of the community. You know what just popped into my mind is I wonder if part of the apprehension too, and Elon's getting into this a little bit with Twitter is like authenticating all humans, but allowing people to remain anonymous. But if you got into a market, so now, now I'm picturing like an auction. So what is the value of art? It goes to auction and who's going to purchase it. They're authentic buyers because we can see them. Well, this NFT could get driven up by a bunch of fucking bots that have this weird algorithm that make me all of a sudden pay 22 Bitcoin instead of eight Bitcoin because all these fake bots for some reason knew I really wanted this because they hacked into my system and they saw my search history or they were able to like determine because they hacked into my Garmin watch or my Apple watch, my heart rate. And they knew that I was pulsating, you know, like it comes to this weird big brother thing in my mind where I'm like, would there be a real market in a virtual world with all the bots that we have? I think that's a good question. Uh, bots are a real thing, especially in the NFC space as well. Um, with those who are just more technically advanced and you know, are bad actors, you know, using them for their advantage or selling them to others just who want to drop their own price for their own assets. Well, it's almost like so fake I, followers, right? Like there's a bunch of people who can have 10,000 followers, but 9,900 of them are bought. Like they're people in India who get paid to sit in a computer and <laughs> click shit. Yeah, I, I think it's it, it is pretty crazy. I think that's that is a valid conclusion. Uh, but I think it's just one of the risks you have of of like getting your feet wet in the space. I think that's something we, we might be able to see more often in the future. Um, but it's it's hopefully I think things like like KYC can help prevent um it will act like as a deterrent against against bots, even though it still still happens, but you have these kind of safeguards in place. And what they call, they still call Web3 the, the wild, wild west because it's still so early in the space. There's a lot of innovation that's still taking place. There's a lot of creativity that's, that's happening. A lot of people are putting their, their minds together to figure out rules and, and guidelines and how ethics will happen down the line um, and, and how the future will, will basically be. So it's this has happened, if you look back, this happens to every technological era that's, that's taking place. And I was talking to my buddies about it in Web2, like you had the thing of cyberbullying. Like when was that a thing? Until so you had social media. Social media, mm. you say, was caused cyberbullying. And it was, it was a huge issue because you had people harming themselves and taking, you know, really causing damage to themselves because they're being bullied online. And it's like, well, wow, like we, the creators never expected that to be a, a, a problem until it you know, until it actually happened. And it was just, just one of those weird things like, wow, well, all of a sudden this is a problem. Like, how do we address this? And how do we create laws and, and rules around this to prevent it from happening? Yeah, but is there like a blockchain company that would step in? Like there's Facebook and because they have stocks, they have a responsibility to their shareholders, right? Because they ask the shareholders for money. So now there's the responsibility back of like, holy shit, I have to basically keep producing profits 
and keep your trust or else my stocks tank and now this company I created is worth nothing. Right? Like that that's ultimately why they care. I don't know if that's ultimately why they care, but that that's like part of why they want people on their platform. If people are hurting themselves on Facebook because they're getting bullied, no one's gonna be on Facebook and it's gonna be a terrible product. But like who's the blockchain Zuckerberg to like step up? Who's right? Like that's but again, that's me looking back. That's not me envisioning what could be and no risk it, no biscuit, right? Like it's, God, it's so scary. I feel like I'm a yeah, fucking, I feel like I'm an astronaut. Yeah, right now there is because of Web3, with that, with ownership becomes, and that decentralization becomes, you, you're, there's no longer gatekeepers in power. Like if, if you lose your seed phrase, that's, it, it's on you. You can no longer get back in your wallet. You can't request a new one or or request um, like a, a backup. If you lose that twelve receipt phrase, your 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 online backs on your wallet. That's that's it's, it's game over. Can you stay um, there for just a second? Like, help me understand that. How do I if I want one? How do I get whatever that is you just said a C phrase? Absolutely. So it's to, to decide to find C phrases and and while I'll back up a little bit. Uh, so wallets come in in three separate categories. You have custodial wallets, you have non-custodial wallets, and then finally you have hardware wallets. Custodial wallets, um, from a, from a, their name, are governed by a custodian. So um, those that can be the company that owns the keys to your wallet. Every wallet uh, that's used to store cryptocurrency has a public address um, or a public key. In a in a private key, and so think about it like you having, like like an actual physical key ring, and you have two two rings two rings there. Um, one your if you use it in relation to a to a mailbox, your your public key is an address that anybody can see online, and anybody can send you know cryptocurrency to. Um, I, mean, I know for Ethereum, it always starts with every public address on Ethereum starts with zero X, blah, 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 for like 25 more alphanumeric characters. Your private key is a key that actually unlocks that mailbox. And in that mailbox, you know, that has your, your mail or like your cryptocurrency, for a digital example, uh, that, that's your control of. If, you know, if you want to send it out, you need that private key in order to sign a transaction to, to send it out. And do you could, make your key, or should I not even say password? Should I say key to try to sound younger? No, 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 because no. you're, you're valid because you still need a password as well for a custodial, for a custodial wallet. Oh shit, so, so I jumped a wallet. So let me pause, stay on your Kasidi. Say the word for me one more time. Was it, uh, which, which word was it? <laughs> It was the first wallet. Thank, dude, you were so patient. Okay, custodial. Custodial. So do you get assigned the alphanumeric code or do you create your own alphanumeric code for the custodial? It's it's random it's randomly assigned. It's, it's randomly created. Okay. Through so whatever algorithm that exists. Got you. But like whatever so if if I go to Coinbase or crypto.com, they're the ones assigning me this to access it, or 
am I somewhere else? I feel like I'm the dude that's like, where am I clicking? What do I go to? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, From, I don't know what's going on in the background, but I know once you create an account that it's it's assigned to you. Now it could come from the blockchain, it could come from Coinbase itself. Yeah, I'm not too sure of. Um, Hopefully I can find some more information to send to you afterwards after podcast for um, for some clarification. But I know once you create an account, uh, one coinbase.com, you have a public address. But the company behind it, either Coinbase Exchange or crypto.com, they hold your private keys. Gotcha. And there, so if, if you forget your password, for instance, because you have to create a user and password for a custodial account, you can reset it and they'll be like, hey, you know, you can reset your password and get back into your account. Um, and that, that's great. But it's also, there's risks to it because if, Crypto.com becomes hacked, or if Coinbase becomes hacked, hackers they can gain they could in theory gain access to those private keys, yeah. which unlock your account because they have they they have access to it. In a non-custodial account, which can also be Coinbase, because Coinbase has an exchange, but you also have a wallet, a non-custodial wallet app as well, and you have you have Coinbase, you have Coinbase the um, non-custodial wallet. You also have MetaMask, which is, you know, I, I'd say, the world's most popular non-custodial wallet uh, by downloads. Um, you have Rainbow. I think those are those are like the top three. And if we use MetaMask as an example, in MetaMask, you're issued your your public key or your public address, your private key, and also your seed phrase. And you can also create a password as well. But if, if we we backtrack a little bit. Your password can be used. I'm using. <laughs> I'm explaining it like I'm creating an account online in my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> in MetaMask, uh, when you create your password, it's saved. It's a static password that's saved to that device. So if I MetaMask comes in an app form on your phone as well as an extension online, so your your password can be separate. It doesn't have to be same cross device. Usually, when you create like a, an email called like Gmail, your password is the same. If I download my phone, I know my password to, to John Smith 23 yahoo.com is to be the same as, or for my Yahoo password to be the same as the one on my desktop because they're both the same account. Um, but for MetaMask, your password can be separate because it's, it's static. What's the same though is your seed phrase. Your seed phrase acts as, I want to say like the next level password that backs up and restores your account. Um, so if you, so your cryptocurrency never goes away because it's always on the blockchain, uh, but your wallet, it's stored inside that wallet as well. But if you ever were to lose, you know, your, if you were forget your, your you know, if you were, if your laptop were to fall in the ocean today, right? And oh man, like all oh, my cryptocurrency is gone. It was on my laptop. Well, no, it was, actually the knocks on your wallet. But as long as you have a seed phrase, you can back up. You have the seed to your account. Now I call it a seed recovery phrase. You can back up your account. You can, you know, pull back up all the cryptocurrency entities that you have in that non-custodial wallet. It's also important to know that custodial wallets can't store NFTs. So if you try to send one NFT to custodial wallet, it's just going to disappear and you can never achieve it. So it's always important to note that. Dude, that was like three things right there. So 
the non-custodial wallets are just basically registering devices to access an account? I want to I want to say yes, and there's risks with that too because so, no, I'm sorry, but like in my head, it's like I got four TVs in my house, and every time I want to get onto TNT.com to watch the NBA playoffs, I have to like activate this Roku. But at the end of the day, they all go to the same like TNT account. It's just like I have to activate and register each device. That's the only analogy I could. Sounds like sounds like a pain in the ass. Dude, it really is. But like once they're once they're um, registered, I'm good. And that's what it seems like. So if I register my phone, if I register my laptop, and if I register some like backup phone that I just keep at my house, I lose the other two, my laptop crashes, I get mugged, blackout, and my phone's gone. But I got this backup phone in my house that is registered to my non-custodial account that I'm able to access. Am I thinking about that right? I think you're on the right path. It's kind of hard because I, I don't have the same setup as you for the TV and Roku, but I feel like I feel like I understand what you're talking about. What an example I've I've read online I explain to many people is that think about if you if I could ask you, Sean, what's your favorite type of car? Uh, Jeep. A Jeep. All right, cool. Let's say you got a you got a 2020 Jeep Cherokee, right? Oh, it's nice silver. You, you got it all you know souped out. And you own the keys. You have the keys to your car. In a not in a custodial wallet, if you want to get access to your car, you have to first ask for permission from the, the garage owner and ask for him or her to open up their garage so you can get inside your car. You can drive out of. You can drive in and out as you please. That's me asking Google to access Gmail. Yes. Got you. All right. So that yep, that would be custodial account. But if, if you lose your keys, you can go back to the garage owner or go back to the manufacturer and hey, I need you to send the keys. They're like, cool, like, yeah, we got you like as long as you verify yourself. Yeah, what's your you password, know, your mother's maiden name, that type shit. Right. In a non-custodial account, it's just you and your Jeep. If you lose your, your physical keys to the Jeep, it's it's all over. You can't contact the you can't contact Jeep or GM, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah. Over Jeep. But how many yeah, copies of my keys am I allowed to make? Infinite? Oh, you only, you only have one key. So it's it's up to you to maintain responsibility of that key. So common practices for you to right? Your your private key is is sealed within your not custodial wallet. You can view it or export it if you want to. They don't, it's it's common it's common practice like you not to though, but your seed phrase is is your tool for getting back into your wallet. So it's very important for you to like save your seed phrase somewhere safe, like write it down, write it down on physical paper and pen. Um, if you store it as like a .cc file on your computer, it's advised against because malware can pick it up. It's advised that you don't send it to yourself via email because malware can also pick it up as well. If you, and nobody will ever ask you for your seed phrase. It's also important to know that like support We'll never ask you for your seed phrase. Um, an NFC company or a project will never ask you for your seed phrase. If anybody's asking for your seed phrase, it's almost always a scam. It's, Unless you're restoring your account. It sounds like fucking nuclear codes that like the president has. Like you crack <laughs> this thing open. All right, so if if your key, which is your seed phrase, is alphanumerical code, 
you have this written down on a sheet of paper somewhere. I can go to www.crypto.com anywhere in the world. And if I have my key, I'm able to log in and access all my stuff. So it should be important to note that your key, your private key is what signs off a transaction. Like if I were to buy NFT or if I were to send out crypto to you, I would have to sign that transaction, but that's done digitally. We don't see that in the, that's, that's all done in the background. Your seed phrase is also a key in the sense, quote unquote, I air quotes here, <laughs> that um, if it's it's usually for a Nuxley wall, it's usually 12 random words. It could be like like pig, pasta, um, pork belly. I was using like the peas, for example. Love it. Like they could all 12 random words that are in the dictionary and they're, they're randomized. They're all in, in order. And if I were answering these words, um, like if I say, if I had your 12 words to your, your wallet, I don't even need to know your public address. All I need is that seed phrase. And I, I don't even need to know my password. Like if I forget my password, all you yeah, see phrase is the root of the account to get back in and access your cryptocurrency NFTs. Okay. And the, again, if, if I've started to buy NFTs and crypto through crypto.com, Crypto.com gives me my 12 words and those are mine forever. So if, for crypto.com, as far as I know, there's just exchange. They they won't give you access to your C phrase nor your your private key since they're the custodian of that account. Uh, All you have to do is just remember your username and password. That's it. Oh, so they're the fucking custodians, username and password. So do yep, you, so there's pros and cons. There's pros and cons of both models. Can I? And then the, the last you? model is. Yeah, so that's where I get lost. I I guess my comfort zone is custodial accounts. So that's something I've learned from this with my boomer self is like, cool, I can go to somewhere they know my mother's maiden name, crypto.com. I guess that's what I'm thinking of. But like, how do you have your own non-custodial account? Like, how do you just fucking get access without having someone give you access? That's That's a great, great question. Um, outside of creating your own MetaMask account or Coinbase wallet account or, or Rainbow or what have you, I believe there's a way to do it. It's it's just out of my technical expertise. I've I've skimmed over a couple of threads on Twitter about how to do it from like um, from the smart guys or smart girls, but it's it's just it, it's kind of like out of my knowledge base. Now it would take too much effort on my half to learn gotcha. how to do it, but I think it's I think it's possible. So the majority then, I guess, would be safe to assume people are going through custodial accounts to access crypto and NFTs where there's this larger corporation that actually is saving your password that you can then have some sort of like fail safe. I think having an access on your wallet is, is like where a majority of users go um, because it's, it's separate because it's like, a custodial wallet, you need a custodial wallet to exchange cash for dollars. Or, oh, whoa, 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 cash for crypto okay. and crypto for cash and vice versa. Uh, but a non-custodial wallet, um, it's, you could use, there's a verification, you have the KYC again to get, you have the KYC in order to get um, money from your bank account into your, your non-custodial wallet. But the easiest way to do it is to send uh, 
crypto or let's say for Ethereum, for instance, said Ethereum, for this example, like from Coinbase to MetaMask, um, because MetaMask can hold NFTs and crypto, but Coinbase the exchange or the non-custodial wallet can't hold NFTs. So if I wanted to, if I made money off an NFT sale um, from my non-custodial wallet like MetaMask, I'd have to send that money from from MetaMask to Coinbase and Coinbase to my bank account. So that, that's how the process goes. Dude, it's all different fucking countries, man. It really is just like exchange rates. That's something like, that's like, hey, when you get into an Uber, you're like, do you have... Thank God it's just like Android or Apple, right? Like, do you have a charger? It's not like, hey, do you have a Samsung? Do you have a Google? Do you have a blank? It's like all that's gone. And it seems like crypto is trying to figure out their like standard, how do we just let all this, how do we just keep all the value together? It almost reminds me of like when states were trying to figure out in America, like to become a country and just be like okay with one federal currency. Yeah, that, that is pretty rough because you have to have that, that consensus amongst amongst the group. Uh, it's it's cool because with with MetaMask, anybody can create, can create a account. You know, MetaMask, MetaMask doesn't even know your name. They don't need to know your age, you know, know your um, like birthday or any other demographic information. You can make an account right now in thirty five seconds. Or I'm probably 15 seconds. MetaMask? <laughs> and what, so like MetaMask.com? MetaMask.io. Uh, so what is .io? You've said that twice and I should have asked before. What is Absolutely. IO in computer science uh, means on and off. IO also is binary for ones and zeros. And it's, uh, there might be more definitions beyond that scope. But that's what I understand from that level. It's also a, a a domain name ending as well, just like .com or .org or, or .net. Yeah, and the majority of like all this crypto, and again, I just, I throw crypto in there because it's like the boomer language. I understand there's more nuance to it, but like the majority of this world, crypto is on a .io. Most of it, it is cool, because, well, not cool, but... <laughs> See, uh, I got you talking like me now. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> hey, just say it's neato. It's, it's really rad. <laughs> I, I probably, I promise you, I won't go to. <laughs> but um, domain name companies have done. They've added a surcharge to the .io ending because it's gotten so popular. Really? I, I bought domain earlier this earlier last month, and it cost me sixty bucks to register a .io. Ending. And what's also cool is that there are blockchain domain endings. I think this is what I emailed uh, you about um, a couple of months back after our first recording is that you can buy and sell blockchain domains as an NFT. Huh. And I think it's, it's really cool because it's, it's gotten really popular, especially this past week. Um, it's been blowing up because there's only a finite amount of domains when it comes to numbers in, in letters. I uh, like for for instance one through one hundred ninety nine zero 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 through one hundred ninety nine through nine hundred ninety nine. Um, there's only um, one thousand of those available. I I believe I, if I'm doing my math right, there should be only a thousand of those available. I I hope so. And because they're scarce, they can be a collection, and they've been selling on the secondary marketplace, which we, we call OpenSea. Um, 
which is one of the most popular and one of the first ever NFT marketplaces ever made. And they're they going for like like six thousand dollars on these past couple of days at, at, at a minimum. And now now they're starting to rise. Um and one sold like five hundred and fifty-five ETH, which is a blockchain domain domain ending, um, from the Ethereum name service. And that that went for fifty-five point five ETH, which if it in Ethereum was sharing around three thousand dollars around that time, so if you do fifty-five point five ETH times three thousand, it was always oh, something else. No mess off my head. That was around uh, $185,000 is all for. Roughly. Because as you talk, I just get to think of real world similarities in my world. And you're in Virginia, right? Yep, in Do, Virginia. Are, are there like license plates that get sold in Virginia? I don't know, but I just read about that happening in Dubai yesterday. Okay, it's a real fucking thing in Delaware. So Delaware has these black license plates that are exclusive. And basically the number one is the most exclusive black license plate. And I believe it always goes to the governor. I believe number two goes to the lieutenant governor. And then like when you get retired as governor, you get to keep the number one, but it has this little fucking emblem on it. And then like, whatever, right? So there's a finite number of black license plates. And for some reason, we go ape shit about them in Delaware. Like, dude, you'll go to an auction and spend fucking 30 grand on a 495 three-digit black license plate. And everybody's like, why'd you do that? I don't know. And it's to me, it's the same logic about this, these domains, which is crazy to think about. But when people shit on it, it's like, well, connect it to something that kind of makes sense. And again, it's what is the mark? It just keeps coming back to like, there really seems to be a driving market, dude. The fact that you're an individual and you can speak about this so clearly, concisely fact check yourself without really even prepping for what I'm going to ask <laughs> means <laughs> I'm sure there's more than one of you around, right? That's into this. So there's clearly a market. I'm sorry, but like all, as you were explaining that, I'm like, man, that like it, it's fucking, it's Delaware license plates. Um, all right, let me take it. So then the .io, you bought some domains. .ios are typical for crypto NFT trading access? Uh, not not typically for that, but I think anything tech-based. It's tech-based. Like, it's common for us to have a, a .io domain name ending. I don't think it's, it's, it's sure proof 100% of the time, but it's kind of like the, the theme in for for crypto and for crypto related projects and companies, we're starting to adopt the .xyz domain name ending. It's just part of the, the culture now. So like every like all the dot coms. Uh, I hate to blame the boomers, but you got to call the the dot coms all the great the top level domain name endings back in the nineties and two thousands. So like the culture is just decided like okay, wait dot .xyz is going to be just just a cool thing, and that's just. You're, you're still available for a majority of names. So that's what it's moved to, like .io and .xyz. Dude, that's hilarious. And this is going to make me sound really stupid. Like, it's the same internet, right? Like, we're, like I, I, I just <laughs> log on to a Wi-Fi somehow or 5G and I'm www.hotmail.com. 
but there's a www. Do you even www it? Is it World Wide Web? Sometimes you can skip it. Yeah. I, I believe like most browsers now you can skip the www. Yeah, right. Here. But it takes you the same. I guess like in my head, I'm like, am I even going to a different place? Because I tried to understand the whole <laughs> fucking dark web thing, and someone was trying to explain that to me, and I couldn't wrap my head around it. I don't want to get into it, but it's very weird for me to think of ESPN.com and ESPN.xyz and it taking me to a very different ESPN place. Yeah. It's not the real. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But like, but that's literally happening right now. Huh? Like people are creating different websites and just not having them as dot coms in order to create these different markets. Yeah, it's because it's so many dot coms are already bought up, like a dot nets, dot orgs. Those top level d- domains of of web one and web two, most of those are already registered. And thanks to domain squatting, a lot of people own those and are just gonna sit them up forever until they get you know a nice you know couple grand or whatever the price is for those domain names. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just like oh well, if there's there's so much more to choose from, like. I want guys like Naval Revocate is is just uh, nav.al, whatever that country's domain name ending is. And I think Sim Ferris has like sim.blog. And so people are, have gotten really creative with, well, because it's like before it was like, it was seen as quote unquote professional to have a .com or a .net or .org because it was a status state. It's a top level domain name ending. But now the price is just so high for news. Or you have to register some super long, ultra long, domain name is like well what does it matter as long as somebody can get to my website and the domain name is short recognizable and easy you know to pronounce or easy to to type in that's all that counts like forget the domain name ending that's this part of it the main part is just like the the actual like the name itself and then you have the ending after that so that's that's how i see it from the eyes of a consumer in the eyes of, a, of an observer. So it's what's in between the www and the dots. It's what's in between the two dots. Yep. I don't mean it myself. Dude, how have I not Googled anything that has me going to anything other than a .com or a .org? How fucking lame is my life, man? I, I think even even Zoom. Zoom is zoom.us. Oh, dude. Fuck Zoom, by the way. And yes... <laughs> You are, I am, I am anti zoom for the rest of my life, man. I am so upset at these. I've been loyal for fucking two and a half years and they are shitting on me, but yeah, you're right. I have noticed that it is zoom.us, but I always thought that was just cause zoom went international and there was another dot com that they just didn't want to like throw on that. Cause I go to zoom thought I go to zoom.com to actually. No, yeah, you're right. It's zoom.us and then slash post attendee. Holy shit, man. I guess the buyer or the seller, you know, might have might have died or might have wanted too much at the time. So you're like, you know, F it. Like let's <laughs> zoom.us. Yeah, and then as long as you just Google Zoom, it whatever your tendencies, the algorithm in Zoom or in Google. For some reason, it's intuitive enough to take you to the actual Zoom company, not whoever owns Zoom.com. You know what's also cool? Um, Amazon started as Relentless.com. And so if, if, you, if you type in Relentless.com to this day, it'll redirect you to Amazon. No way. God. 
What are we not doing a random, uh, like random Jack Mirrors watching about Amazon and Jeff Bezos? That's pretty. Cr- Do you remember why it started as Relentless? I yeah, I'm not so sure. I probably have to watch it again to find out. God, that's terrible. No wonder Bezos was such a dork. Like <laughs> relentless. Like it says a lot about him, but at the same time, it's like, what does that have to do with buying a book? Isn't that your original purpose to like make me buy a book? So why would I don't know? Anyway. Um, why <laughs> so we went my notes tell me non-custodial wallets, custodial wallets, and then dot IOs, but I have no idea how we got on to so much about the ending stuff like where we're trying to where i was even trying to get to from cryptos nfts and new dots i think we're i think one one point i'd love to bring up is that um blockchain domain endings well blockchain domain names um being nfts are kind of like it happening all over like the 90s 2000s.com bubble happening all over again to where you can now register Domain name, domain name endings for your blockchain of choice for the Ethereum blockchain. Um, they're mostly used domain name ending is a dot ETH ending. So they, they call it the ENS, Ethereum name service. And you might be like, well, why would I want one of those? The same way why you, you buy a domain name in the first place, because you want to map your website to a human readable name. Instead of typing in 198.163.0.5, Whatever your website connects to on the back end, I believe in the early web days, like I did type that in, put my hand, and then domain names came along. If you have ICANN, which is the overarching registration or registration company for those domain names, you now have a blockchain domain is because when, when you're sending crypto to somebody else, you have to copy and paste this this long, you know, alphanumeric address. And if you were to miss one word and send it to the wrong address, it's it's gone forever. <laughs> and you, you can't revert that. You can't ask for a refund. It's it's gone, it's gone. So it's like, because of decentralization, you have these pros and cons. It's one of these cons. Like you have to make sure you get it right from the first type. So time. let me pause you for a second for the code. Yes. Like that's the actual like transaction. That's what would be the physical me handing you the money, me getting back the whatever product right? Yep. So how is that copy and paste alphanumeric code created? Yes. So for non-custodial wallets, you're automatically assigned, depending on what blockchain you're on, you have one that corresponds to the blockchain you're on. So um, earlier, I gave an example that, you know, Ethereum always has their, their public addresses always start with zero X, easy way to identify an Ethereum-based uh, public address. And anybody can view that public address as long as you share it with them. If you want to tie it to a human readable name, um, you can buy a blockchain domain name or ENS name. And for for example, like you can register SeanOGrady.eth if it's still available. And now you can you can tie and link that that name to your um, to your public wallet address. So now all I have to do is if I want to send you money, I have to type in SeanOGrady.eth. And I can send you any type of coin that I want. Now, the, the problem is if you want to send it to your custodial wallet, you need to make sure that the coin that you're trying to send it to corresponds with that public address. And it might sound kind of 
kind of crazy right now, but let's say if I wanted to, if you want to send yourself, or if you wanted to send me um, my my custodian wallet, you want to send me Ethereum, for instance, but you have had a the Polygon or Matic, um, you, you have Polygon cryptocurrency in your wallet. If I give you my Ethereum public address or my Bitcoin public address for my custodial wallet, it and you send it to that to that address, it's gonna be gone forever because those two they don't match. It is not a fit. It's like putting in your your bedroom key or your, your house key into your mailbox key. Like they don't yeah, they right. won't fit. Yeah, it's just it what Apple ran into with Android, right? It's like the whole issue with some apps are only accessible on certain phones because they communicate that way. That's how I'm thinking about it. It's almost it's almost similar. It's one of those things you just have to see it to gotcha. to, re- to really get it or see like infographics. So if I like if I literally click enter and it I send this to you, but your fucking custodial wallet does not accept the type of crypto coin or altcoin that I'm sending you. It's just gone. It doesn't just bounce back to me. What the fuck? Who the fuck never thought of that? That's so inconsiderate, dude. What the fuck? Yeah. So what's cool is that, like, for non-custodial wallets, they can accept almost any type of coin as long as you attach that. As long as as it's it's on the right chain. Um, But for custodial wallets, you have to make sure that it matches. Both coins match. That they address. The public, both public addresses match. That they're so there no, because it can be it can be really scary when you're sending cryptocurrency to yourself or to somebody else, and it's taking a long time. If you don't know if it's in either the network or if you sent to sent to the wrong address, it, it can be pretty nerve wracking. <laughs> but what I like about blockchain domain names is that you have a human readable address and it makes it super easy. And I was like, wow, well now I have a, a public way. To just enter it in a human readable name. I don't remember these long strings of digits because I forget one number. It might go to the wrong person or, or just lost out into the void. Dude, for me to really understand this, I feel like I'd have to be a parrot on someone's shoulders and watch how this shit pops up on a screen. You too, my friend. That's that's literally my my go to. Yeah, people like so you could literally just YouTube how to trade crypto or what these crypto screens look like. And then people are sharing their screens. Isn't yep. that dangerous though? Cause couldn't you grab their code if you wanted to, or what do they like blur it out? Some, sometimes they blur it out. If it's a, if it's a non, or if it's like a custodial wallet, sometimes they want to link their non-custodial wallet to themselves. Since the custodial wallet has no information on them, they'll, they'll sometimes pull out their public address because once you share it, it's, it's public. It's well, one is public already, but you need some way to trace it back to yourself. But if nobody knows that zero X Y seven eight three two is your account, nobody will know. But if you buy a certain NFT and let's say, like I bought the um, let's say Miami Heat starts making NFTs, like I bought the um, the the Jimmy Butler number one hundred thirteen NFT, you post on social media. Somebody can can like reverse and will reverse like back trace it back. So like okay, like who bought this number NFT? Trace it back to the wallet, and then see zero X Y seven three 
and then oh wow well sean o'green post um you know post about that on twitter three hours ago that's his wallet so there's, there's it could be it could be a pro and a con to to posting your information online uh, but it's because all of your contents in your wallet is publicly viewable so people can easily pocket watch see what kind of tokens you have see what kind of nfts you own uh, most celebrities have like docs themselves online so it's I think it's good practice to have like a, a like a wallet that you share online if, if you decide to make it publicly available. And one is you just keep private. One is you just don't disclose with the world. But then how do you have shit? If the whole point is for it to everyone to see it, how do you actually make it private? Some people like have anonymous accounts on, on Twitter and will have like anonymous wallets because uh, they don't want to reveal their personality online. They don't, want, they don't want to reveal their 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 ego, so uh, it's, it's like so they never connected to like some sort of verified account that people can trace, but it's their own. But then, how do they actually have the account if it's never verified? They just know the original twelve words that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, they have a phrase because MetaMask will never ask you for a name. They never ask you for any type of identifying information. So they have. The people that are anonymous online, and it could be to one's pro, like, I think there's good reasons here today. They might not want to be judged. Um, they might not want to have it traced back to them for certain reasons. Sometimes they be for nefarious purposes. And whatever they way to have of cash and mail, like I'm sending it to, a, to your own custodial wallet or to someone else's custodial wallet. I'm not sure how they do it. Or for exchanging it, online with in real life money with somebody else that they trust i don't know how to do it but they dude governments must be like going fucking system. nuts like i just thought of like every terrorist attack like it was always about and maybe this is just like move, movie influencing me but like tracing the bank accounts right and like russia invading ukraine what, what's the whole fucking thing like all right we're gonna freeze all the oligarchs assets in their bank accounts but if this oligarch has the, and say, say the website, or is it even a website? What's the place again? Um, uh, for not on your wallet, um, you usually download it as an extension or an app. But even if the if the app were to go down or site were to go down, there's still other ways to back up your seed phrase using another type of not on your wallet um, infrastructure or numbers website. Yeah. So it's like. It's, it's it's always like a another no, way. I I didn't get to write down the word. It wasn't a metaverse. There was an M word. Oh, me, me, MetaMask. Meta what? MetaMask. MetaMask. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, there could be some Russian oligarch with a MetaMask that actually has all their trillions of dollars in some sort of fucking altcoin that. Nobody knows is connected to this person because he has 12 words that all start with the letter K and he's good to go. As long as there's a market for all the shit that he owns in his MetaMask. Yep. That, that, that could be a possibility. And I think there, there was something about, uh, there's something that I can't remember the word, but I think and there was a lot of, there was a lot of pressure going on. On Coinbase, there's he is the CEO um, Brian Armstrong, I believe, because because of cryptocurrency being being available and like Coinbase being available um, worldwide and have, having that app being downloadable all over the world. So 
I think that was, that was like also an issue with, with Russia having access to that because it, it provides, that's one of the advantages of crypto. Like you don't need, like governments can't really interfere with it um, unless it's like a custodial account. So it's, yeah, the rabbit hole goes really deep <laughs> when it comes to stuff like this about, yeah, because it's so early, it's like, wow, there's so many ways this can be used. And I think that happened with Bitcoin too. Like Bitcoin got a bad rap because what I, what I heard from when I was younger was like, oh, only criminals use this, drug dealers use this, blah, 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 blah. Well, I think that happens with any new technology that comes out. There's always going to be a bad group of people that take advantage or use it in the wrong way that it wasn't intended to be used. Um, it, there's always that, just always that gap that, that takes place or... Yeah, it's it's happened since the dawn of technology. Yeah, I wonder if there'll be some sort of crash. And I'm trying to think back to like the FDIC. I thought bank accounts got insured after the Great Depression. So the stock market crashes, whatever, 1910-ish, 1920-ish, before World War One, right? And then the government steps in and says, hey, we're going to restore your trust in this organization. You put your money into a bank. We guarantee you, based on your federal tax dollars, that you will be able to pull it out. And like, I wonder if there's going to be this weird crypto crash somewhere where shit gets wiped out. Like, what gives you the confidence that shit's not going to get wiped out and that your 12 words, your MetaMask is going to be there? Because you can't I, file a police report, right? Like you, you yeah. There, there have been people who have uh, who've, who've had their like I've like sent their seed phrase to the wrong person and has gotten their account wiped out. Or what also happens is whenever you buy an NFT, or if you're trying to um, buy a, a cryptocurrency or a decentralized exchange, we call it a DEX for short. You have to connect your your Noxlayer wallet um, to these sites. And it's almost like single sign-on if you're familiar with that. Like signing with, if you ever, you know, we're on a website, you get an option to sign on with Google or sign on with Facebook or sign on with LinkedIn or with your Microsoft account or with Apple, et cetera. It's almost like SSO because you're, in Web3, your wallet is your digital identity because it has a transaction of everything you bought or sold. Um, it's publicly viewable to anybody online as long as you have your, your public wallet address and you need it to connect to these web three sites or, and decentralized applications, which we call dApps or DApps. And so when you connect your wallet to the sites, like you know, like connect with MetaMask or connect with Coinbase wallet, connect with any other type of wallet, et cetera, you're signing a, tra you're, you're blind signing a transaction for your wallet and this, decentralized app to connect to each other. So this, this, this app can read information from your wallet and vice versa. And so these two can connect almost like Lego blocks. Right. And it, you need that in order to access like the, do like advanced things like, like buy and sell or um, yeah, in order to buy and sell for the most part um, and to have like other types of integrations such as like if you want to enter in a raffle, you might have to catch your wallet to the site. So, but some sites are are like phishing sites and are like like scam sites. They look like a real thing but are fake. It's kind of what I'm building with my um, 
with my uh, my startup, Novus, is to detect these fake sites we have because millions of people have clicked on a wrong website. Like they clicked on the wrong Morning Yacht Club site or the wrong Google site or wrong Azuki site. These popular NC projects pop up overnight. And when it's, once they connect it, they don't understand what they're signing with their wallet. And once they sign a transaction, they, they end up getting all their assets taken immediately. All their NFTs, all their cryptocurrency gone within seconds because they signed into the wrong website or looked just like the real one, but it was fake. And now all their stuff is gone. And they can file a CIA report or contact a, you know, a, a forensic analyst or a, a, a private audit firm to try and get their funds back. But it's, it's usually not going to be cheap. This is usually costing some money to, to help, you know, get those funds back. Um, there are like these weird little online audit firms and detectives. How the fuck know, do they intimidate anybody to get shit back? Like, well, they, what's their power? They they usually have the technical knowledge to trace transactions, um, and even sometimes. But is it legal theft? And I know you're not a lawyer, man. But like, if they can trace it, let let's say I hustled you, right? right. And they figure out it's me. Like, do I actually get arrested? Did I actually steal from you? I I think, yeah, it, it feels like a bad intent. And if, if you're like like a, a scammer doing it on purpose, the, the CIA could, could come after you if they knew who you are. And I feel like that's where the market for these private auditors and private digital forensic analysts, where where they make their money at because they're, they have the technical knowledge and know how to, to trace the transaction out. Is it, can it do 100% of the time? I don't think so because there's, there's ways to, to diverse money using different programs like tornado cash which is something i'm still learning because i'm like yo how do, how do people yeah like, like how disperse? do you shake it down like what wh what's the mafia like do my legs get broken do i get put in a jail cell do i get like a red check mark instead of a blue check mark and now my blockchain has a stigma and all i gotta do is create a new identity like that's where the safety it's again like again going back instead of going forward and that's where i keep going to like i like police officers with weapons i like the government being able to lock up a criminal who's done me wrong i like going to court before a judge there's this whole system in place that i feel very protected in and in this crypto world of yours which is very scary to me it's like okay great you found him how do you make him give shit or how do you make her, how do you make they give shit back? Can you just go yeah. in there and steal it on your own? It's like, it was never yours. You stole it so I can steal it back because I'm technologically smarter than you. Well, no, if, if, if you do get stolen from you, it's, it's still a crime at that. Like no, no one's allowed to really like steal your ass. Oh, there are like crypto laws for that. Cryptocurrency does count as an asset. Fuck, man, you froze again. We got five. Because the legal system's not completely dead when it comes to crypto, but the issue is is tracing and finding the bad actor or the um, or a criminal on the other end that did the bad act or did the hack or scam. The problem is it's it's kind of tough to track them, and so that's that's where like 
the market is hot for like for reactive security measures. See, but if you no, dude, I'm sorry, okay. I didn't mean to cut you off, but like that's the fucking irony of it. Like decentralized, everybody knows everything. Well, then why is it so hard to fucking trace this person back? Yeah, that's one of that's one of the cons. It's still the wild west, so it's like that. That's what is, I guess that's the nature of the beast when you're stepping into this real one of the risks you do take. And so that's why uh, things like having a, a a harbor wallet are still recommendable within this space if you have you know over a certain amount of money in, in coins or you know, high profile or blue chip like blue chip NFTs. Um, you can move those to a harbor wallet. And what a harbor wallet does is acts as um, a second layer of, of authentication, so like like two FA. But its selling point is that it takes your private keys as you sign a transaction and it moves those offline. So if you were to try to send a crypto out or try to send or try to like sign a transaction, uh, you get you have to plug in your physical harbor wallet. It's similar to a USB drive. Uh, plug the cable, connect the cable in from it to it you know to your to your laptop and physically approve it on your device and press the button for a transaction to go through so it helps to turn sometimes when you might get fished or you might get hacked or scammed back as another layer of protection um but it's not completely foolproof because if you lose your your hardware wallet and you don't have your 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 secret recovery phrase or seed phrase so it's it's like it's like you, you have to have an additional measure in place for an additional layer of security. Yeah, it's funny, man. The harbor wallet just sounds like a really nice safe that you have that you yep. plug into your computer and you're just hoping there's not some fucking malware that has this weird code that figures out how to like crack your safe real quick, your harbor wallet, as um you plug it into the computer to trade. Most of them are very um, like like graded security. Right. Um, I, the two brands out there that are the most popular are Ledger and Trezor. Uh, Trezor is pretty open source, while Ledger is not. I like comparisons like Apple and Android to both your ecosystems. Uh, Ledger uses secure element, which I'm still trying to figure out what that is, but they say it's pretty secure, and a lot of people from this space use it. And so I, I took some time, like spent some money to to buy one and just to set it up, and it's. It, the pros is that it, it does act as like a safe, but it does take some more time for you to process the transaction. So it could be a pro or con for you. Because, uh, yeah, if the market's fucking swinging and that again, that's the weird thing. Like a dollar's not a dollar, right? Like a Bitcoin could be 58,000 or it could be 48,000. So if you're but losing it, that transaction of time. Yeah, yeah. It, is that yeah, why that matters? Time. That, that could, if, if you're a spring trader. But if you're buying and holding, I don't think it would be a problem for you. Gotcha. Dude, it's amazing how you honestly are just able to, like when I'm like, wait, 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 what do you mean wallets? You're able to go on for like 30 minutes about it <laughs> and like really try to connect it to things to like, again, like how do you help people who are ignorant understand something? You have to like make connections and analogies and you have to figure out what does that person understand that connects to my current knowledge of content and then will be somewhat similar for them to make the connections. And um, I, I don't know if I can do boomer talk like crypto, but just 
hearing the conversation and being around like the words and the process to me is like, I don't know, really neat. Let's <laughs> ah, go back to it. Like, it, it's pretty fucking cool, man, to be like, oh, okay, shit. All right. So like the dot IOs and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh, different types of wallets. And there's even layers of webs, like shit like that. I'm like, um, I don't know, man, it's eye-opening. Yeah, I think that's the fun part about it too when you start learning and digging it and they, they call it the rabbit hole for a reason because it just goes so deep. And there's there's so much that I don't understand myself as well. It's like, wow, like every time I scratch the surface, like there's a whole, there's so many other layers to that I just, stuff I don't know. And I, I've, I constantly, I try to like listen to different podcasts um, or like read different threads on Twitter just to understand like what what's going on in this space. And I, I think what's cool too is that at first I was, I was like a lurker in this space. I was like, oh, like I don't know what I'm doing. And <laughs> I, I feel embarrassed because all these people are smart and I don't know shit. But I think what, what happened, like I met, I met my cousin. This, this is my cousin on my father's side. And I, he hasn't seen me since like I was a kid. So it was really cool to reunite with him and just getting to, I don't know, he was, he was also in the NFTs. NFT NYC at a, at, a, at a conference in November in New York in Manhattan. And um, I saw him there, like, he, he pronounced my name, like, uh, he said, he was like, Emin Wo. That's like the Latino presentation of my, of my name on the Dominican side of my family. And I was like, wait a minute, like, there's only, oh, so many people that that would say that, right? And I looked and I was like, wait a minute, like, you look that familiar. And so we were just catching up and talking, like, wow, it's crazy how crypto conference, NFC conference, like reunited us, and now now we're super cool. We're going to we're going to VCon, hosted by Gary V, and um, and later later up coming up this month, which is supposed to be like a huge Web three NFT conference. Um, and uh, like he he went and like like he sent a ticket to my wallet address, um, just just out of love, and like I'm like wow, that's like you have to do that. That's that's fun. It's like crypto is like bringing people together. Not only digitally, but also in real life. So I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. The conventions to like actually put people to the digital wallet. That is kind of neat. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty interesting. You have to watch your back though. Make sure you don't uh, you receive for yourself to anybody because I'm pretty sure there's like bad actors there too. So I say always have like a VPN. Always make sure you connect to the VPN where you go. Like some of those things. What do you mean connect to a VPN? So VPN is a virtual private network that acts as whenever your computer connects to Wi-Fi, you might have heard like oh, it's okay. pretty bad. Yeah, to connect to like a public network because on a on a public network, um, somebody who's advanced enough can pick up um, on your packets, which is like the data that's being sent from your computer to um, to like to like a Wi-Fi like like modem or router or whatever. And they can sniff those packets, which they can find out like what kind of information you're sending and receiving. And it goes things like like passwords and like bank account numbers and other types of like personally identifiable information. Also can be could be seed phrases too. So of what a virtual private network does, it's it encrypts your connection from your, your device to um to that modem or router, whatever it's broadcasting from. And it, it acts like as a tunnel that is like like, like a one-way tunnel or two-way tunnel that's private 
only to to you in that that server. Yeah. And so it 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 does a great job at protecting you. Gotcha. I I didn't mean to cut you off of my body language, but I could see like some like crypto currency convention and then all of a sudden there's this dude in the trench coat with the weird hat and the glasses on just hoping for me to walk in <laughs> and be like what's the free wi-fi password i'm here to buy crypto and all of a sudden i'm like i don't even exist i literally get sucked into some sort of crypto hole <laughs> and my body yeah, is gone we're, we're, we're going to get a rug for getting wrecked right <laughs> <laughs> emmanuel was was there anything um, we didn't get into that you kind of wanted to talk about or um, just give some knowledge on something that I don't even know that I don't even know? Absolutely. I think I'll, I, I gave you some in another talk I did last month, but I think a lot of people are, are like, oh, as you're in space, want to make money. I think that's, that's great because I, I wanted to make money when I first entered in space too. And there's, there's three tiers or three paths um, that I like to give out when it comes to making money or and each each level comes with the pros and cons. Um almost almost like stats, like like for a player in basketball, like how somebody might be, you know, great at shooting, uh, but might be a terrible defender. I mean, it might not be as quick. So I'll I'll give you three paths. Um on I'll say like on on like how to make money with space. The first path is like the the solo path in which the gratification and all these paths are risky. I should know as a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor also. But out there too. <laughs> Especially if you're over like 18 years old and don't understand anything about no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As the 40 year old. The first path um being the solo path is where you're you're buying and selling crypto. Almost like you're swing trading. You're buying at a low price and selling at a high price, or you're buying and selling NFTs with a with a with a plan to profit as quickly as you can by buying and selling. You know, by having like watch watching patterns or watching like the hype or excitement around a project or protocol. Um, the value, the gratification around that is very high, uh, but the value is pretty low because it's only to yourself. You're really not benefiting anybody else, which is, isn't a, a wrong or right or bad thing, but it's just something to point out because it can be it can be a, a very energy intrusive type of thing where you either watch charts all day or watch or, or read about the news news articles or scroll on Twitter 24-7. It's, it's things I've done and I profit off of, but it can be very energy draining. So if you love it and you have the time for it, by all means, go ahead. But I think that's how most people get entered into space by like buying, selling, day trading, swing trading, um, and it's using cryptocurrency. I think level two is where you're like, you're a contributor and this gratification is moderate. And in this, you're either like writing, you're writing code or contributing to a GitHub repository where there's open source code, you can help identify bugs or add things that might be useful something up to a project you could be giving you like writing articles which is a need for for people that understand this technology can break it down to layman terms and are great writers um you can help write technical guides or walkthroughs or even create youtube videos or videos on tiktok explaining how all this stuff works 
Mm. And um, there are these, I don't want to call them internet companies, but there's internet groups called DAOs, which are decentralized autonomous organizations that are these decentralized groups with like a, with certain missions or purposes to help either like for a certain project or certain coin. And there's all types and they'll pay, they'll, they, some of these DAOs pay, will pay contributors for their work. And even if you're not being paid, if you're doing this as a service, um, you can end up getting a job within the space as well. Uh, because this this type of talent is needed within the space because, because there's such a, a high technical barrier of entry, the knowledge barrier, knowledge gap. There's a need for people to help break this stuff down. Well, it sounds and it sounds like a little bit like what you're doing right now, and what it hopefully would do would like expand the market, which would make crypto and this NFT and this whole virtual world more valuable because if you have a limited product and more people want it, it's more expensive. <laughs> Did I oversimplify yeah. it, or is that kind of yeah. like the purpose you're trying I, to bring more people into this world? Yes, and I think education is is a huge piece in Web three that that needs to be emphasized because there's this talk about you know inclusivity, and it, of course you might have the jokes about about you know normies or new people coming into space and boomers coming into space. I don't know what they're doing, but I, I what I've been talking about, I've been preaching this for like the past month is, and I'll continue preaching it forever. Is that if we really want to be inclusive, we need to be considerate of these groups of people too, and understanding like where they're coming from in this space, and understanding their, their knowledge level, and you know things, barriers of entry, um, and even bias. Yeah, dude, the fucking jargon for me, and not not to cut you off with your three points, but again, like I'm a fairly educated, well-read individual. I haven't fucked around with stocks for but like three years. But I can't, I literally cannot mentally keep up with all the fucking acronyms and the jargon, man. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I can't, dude. And I'm a fairly educated individual. So I can't imagine somebody coming into this thing older than me, like 45 with less experience, 50 with less experience. Just someone who's like, hey, I have some discretionary funds. I hear about this. How do I get in? Like, it's daunting. You're you're locked out, man. Those walls are too high to climb. Yeah, I, I think you know, you're a great point on that. And it, it can be there's just a saying that like a week in crypto is like like two months in a real world. Yeah, <laughs> just because of how fast the space moves, it should be a good thing and a bad thing. Because it's like if you you miss out, or you go try to cycle on vacation or take a get off the grid for you know a week or. Or whatever, or whatever have you come back and like all of these crazy innovations are happening and just and there's there might be like a fire or a dumpster fire over here that the community is just like going off about it. like you know what what happened in the past yeah in the past 72 hours is just crazy it just seems like y'all just get to create whatever the fuck you want and it's like <laughs> and if people think it's cool it's cool it's valuable it's it's added to this community so no, um, so level two wise, I, I'm super appreciative of the time you've given. And I think that would hopefully, if nothing else, add resources and people for the more educated to scam off of. So you would at least hope <laughs> that they'd want to include <laughs> some more boomers in their world. <laughs> I think I do want to throw out a resource as well. One resource I love is um, Bankless. 
Bankless has a podcast and they have a newsletter and they send it out like every 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 weekday and on Saturdays they send out a newsletter. And they have like a subscription option if you want to pay for their model, but they're completely free. They have a free option as well. You have to click on the drop down and make sure you're clear on the free option. <laughs> free the free advice is just as good as a paid advice from what I've, I've been told and what I've experienced. Um, they make it they do a great job at breaking down the information and they've interviewed a lot of hope of high profile guests within this space, uh, such as like Vitalik Buterin, who is who's a founder and creator of Ethereum. Um, Chris Nixon, who's an OG within this space, who does a really great job at breaking down Web3 and gets his take on where our future is headed. Um, he really gets it. And I've, I listen to him a lot to really try to understand the more technical side of things. Um, there's just two people who I like. Uh, but Bankless is is a great resource. And that's something I find myself coming back to very often. Gotcha. So level three? Level level three is where you're now in oh yeah, on, on level level two, yeah, as I guess what can be inferred is that the value is now outspread to to a community, not just to yourself. So in that and even though the graphics is moderate. It still comes back to you. Like, I feel like if you do good things, they'll come back to you. Yeah, it time. seems holistic, man. I'm sorry. I, I just asked you to keep talking. Now I'm cutting you off. Again. You're, you're but like, level one seemed very selfish. Level two seems to the realization of, hey, man, it's more than about me. It's about this thing that's being created. Definitely. Definitely. And level three takes level two, like, it, it takes that to an international level to where you're now being helpful in the world. That's things like, if you're starting your own AFC project that comes with utility or, or not, or even if, even if it's just art, that's, that's fine as well. Um, if you're, you know, working for a Web3 platform, a cooking platform, um, or if you're starting your own company or starting your own, your own protocol, uh, to help, you know, advance things within the space or to help, you know, protect users or make things easier in whichever way your talents is best or even starting a DAO. Um, to help you know, educate people on like, a given topic or to help a certain minority group of people that are like marginal, marginalized and just don't have the access or aren't aware of the revolution that's taking place. Because it's, matter of fact, is that it's still very early in space. It's, there's a number of ways to profit. Um, and even though this, this like Route 3 is, um, or Path 3 is, the gratification is super delayed, I think it's very rewarding. And then, gotcha. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I almost wonder if I were more well read, I'd be able to like throw something on it. But it almost just seems like a natural evolution of like creating tribes, right? Like individually, you go on your own, then you sort of like try to help people become part of the tribe by helping others to understand what is normal in the tribe what's accepted in the tribe. And then once everyone's in the tribe, you start creating and you start adding and contributing to what others want within the tribe. Sorry, Sean, if Rose like right when you start talking about the, yeah, the, I was, the tribes. Yeah, I was just rambling. I was like, I just pictured somebody like out in the plains in Minnesota and like you're by yourself and then you find someone else and it's like, hey, let me explain to you how to survive in Minnesota in the winter. And now all of a sudden you've got a couple people and now you get to specialize 
because you're able to rely on each other. It just seemed like a natural like evolution to societies where people are out for themselves, then you try to be more inclusive, and then you try to create to be appreciated within that culture. I think it's, it's like that too. Like from the people, some of the people I've met online would have had questions or I'd ask, I'd start out on Twitter or go on Discord and ask, uh, ask around. Like most people are willing to help. You know, a lot of people are kind as well. They're willing to like share advice, resources. Um, not so many people are, are harsh from what, I, what I've experienced. I think, yeah, you got the, the jerks at, at times, but it's, when I experience like that, it's, it's rare within the space. Dude, I can tell you after almost three hours and five fucking Zoom links, I still like I would still be scared to create some sort of wallet and connect it to my I, I own. I think you should do account. it. There's no fucking I think, do, I think it's just create it, just create it. It's just to play around with it. I don't think you should if you're um I think ordering a hardware wallet might be one of the things on your to do list. But I think creating a, a minimash wallet just to create one. And not even not even buying NFC yet. I think just connecting it to OpenSea.io. That would be like a first test. There's also um, a protocol called, um, uh, it's called rabbithole.gg. And what, what they do is they, they gamify the the onboarding process to, to Crypto Web3. So if you like complete certain tasks and um, you'll like, you'll level up by doing those tasks. And it's, it's cool because you get to learn like about your wallet and about these different depths at the same time. So I think it's a great way to get more bored in the space. Dude, you just said 18 different things <laughs> and I'm trying to like follow along. Basically all I took from that is I'm playing Mario brothers and I'm like yeah. trying to earn something in a wallet by doing so. But like that, that's again, like how come I just don't have a fucking account? What, what do I have to learn? Like, I just want to put in a username. I want to put in a password. And if I want to buy something, I want to click, put it in a cart and there, I want to pay for it. Like that's, that's all I want, man. Like the whole point of gaming makes me want, a, it kind of does make me want to go there to be like, why do I have to, what is there to understand? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, um, what is there to understand? And I guess you can't understand it unless you actually do it, you know? That that really is part of the game. And I, I had to learn, like, NBA Top Shot was my gateway drug in the SEs. And it was super relatable because I was like, okay, well, I bought Pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I played at tournaments. I understand how, like, how it works. Like, I've, I've you know, I've bought cards off eBay. Like, I I, I get that, that process and relating it to, to the NBA and having those physical trading cards as digital moments and video clips. It's like, oh, wow, well, this makes sense. Like that, that click and everything else just advanced from there. Um, and that was like my point of entry. I think that might help for some people who are like, who understand sports. I mean, you understand basketball, so NBA Top Shot might be your thing to understand the space. It's like, oh, wow, well, I get this. And for some people that I know that, that use NFT touch, they're like, wait a minute, this is NFT? I was like, yeah, all the time. <laughs> That's funny. Wait, I just did an NFT? It's like, well, you don't really do an NFT, but yeah, you did an NFT. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, you did an NFT. That's hilarious.
right, Emmanuel, man, I can't thank you enough for um, just giving up three hours of your day and um, all the Zoom links that you dealt with um, for just trying to educate people, man, for being a tier two. What did, what did you call it again? Second level, <laughs> not a tier two, a second level guy, man. Second level. Yeah, yeah so now I'm now I'm on my way trying to get to level three for myself. And um, oh, I, I do want to throw out that Ledger Academy is a great place to learn about crypto NFTs as well. And they're security based too, so they do a great job at at breaking down and teaching like great practices within the space to stay secure and secure accounts. So that's also a great place to learn about crypto for for beginners and even people more advanced as well, because that's something I revisit often. Got you. Dude, appreciate the knowledge. Um, I appreciate the follow. And hopefully now as I see you post it, it'll make just a little more sense to me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, this is fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, nah, dude. Thank you so much for your knowledge. And um, enjoy the rest of your night, man. Thank you, Sean. You sir. Yep. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, If you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, If you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.